because I feel that people are much more willing to go to a movie they think is going to be mediocre than they are willing to go to a movie that they think is going to be good. It's wrong to believe that people want to go to good movies. They're very suspicious of good movies. They're very willing to go to midstream movies. In other words, they want a little less. Allow me to introduce myself. Who knows what dastardly crime might perpetrate next? He's a very clever arch criminal who must be put away. Another innocent victim. episode is entitled Monumental. I'm pretty proud of that pun. And you'll know why later in the show, because we're going to be talking about an awesome movie. Uh, but first, I'm here joined as always by Mr. Reed Benson. Howdy, folks. And I am BJ Smith, of course. And we're going to uh, get into some films that we've seen recently that are worth talking about. And we'll try to keep it as short as possible, but I'm not giving any promises because there's one film here that I probably will not be very short on. And it's because I love it so much. Um, but I'm going to throw it over to Reed. Reed has seen three movies on this list that I have not seen. Because Reed is a machine, and I can't keep up with him all the time. Uh, Although you've been watching some stuff that I haven't seen, so... Took... Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched Airheads the other night, so that was, <laughs> <laughs> was something, I guess. And you watched Venom, which we're not going to talk about. Oh... We both have speaking... seen it, and we refuse to speak about it. Speaking of movies, I could... I, I don't want to, and I'm not going to. But man, I could I could spend some time tearing that movie apart. Yeah. I, anyway, I don't. I saw it like a month ago, I think, and I don't even remember half of what happens in that movie. So, my friend's still trying to convince me that it was good, and I was like, I've seen it; it's trash. And they're like, You're the only person that's seen it that hasn't liked. And I'm like, I'm not the only person, <laughs> and that movie's trash. Uh, yeah. But whatever. So, um, I'm going to throw it over to you to talk about a movie that you. Uh, kind of excitedly told me about maybe a week ago um, another foreign language film called Cold War. saw a beautiful boy um, and I saw this trailer for this movie and it looked really interesting it was set to some really interesting music I'm like this is a and the, the the cinematography looked incredible it was in black and white in my favorite 4 by 3 aspect ratio <laughs> let's go um, and I was like wow what what the hell I've never heard of this movie I didn't even know this thing but I'm really interested and then uh, I believe it I don't know if it said during the trailer or if I found out after 
But I found out that it was from, um, oh god, I'm gonna mess up his name. I hate myself so much. Uh, but let's just, okay. Powell, Powellowski, whatever. I'm just gonna, that's my one opportunity to try to get his name right, and it will not happen again. Uh, but I was really excited for this because, uh, his, uh, movie Ida, which, uh, came out in 2014, um, which won the, uh, Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film of that year, uh, and was in my, uh, best of the year list for that year, I was, uh, I really loved that movie, and I thought it was really good, and I was really, so when I heard that he was also directing this, got the same cinematographer and everything, I was pretty excited, and, uh, it was pretty, pretty good, pretty good, really good, actually, um, I, I just, I love this guy's style, man, I think, uh, one of the biggest criticisms I heard of this movie was that it's, I haven't seen any of the director's previous work before Ida, but it has a very, I guess the best way I could describe it, uh, the closest thing, probably that's came out this year that we've just seen, describe it as far as cinematography and how the movie looks, uh, is like a first reform type, um, but it, it's also in black and white, and I just love the way, the way he sets up the, his camera, the way everything is lit, like there's shots in the movie where it's focusing on a crowd Obviously, you're supposed to focus on just one person in the crowd, but it's almost like they lit it into where th- they're, the guy that you're supposed to be focusing on is like more lit up than everyone else. But it's so subtle that it's almost hard to tell—not hard to tell, but it's very subtle, so that it's not like in your—it's not like you know in your face like a spotlight on this guy. It's it's really interesting, and the way the black and white works is really cool with this. I think, like I was trying to say, one of the biggest issues that people had with the movie, that it was almost too much like the style in Ida, which I get. Um, I think it probably had more of a purpose in Ida, but I just loved it so much. Um, the music in this film also is uh, fantastic. Uh, and um, the the main two actors are actually based off of uh, the director's parents and named off them. Actually, I don't know if it's based off, I don't know if this story is based off these two his parents' life. I don't believe it is, but I know that they're named after his parents and that it's a, this movie is basically a tribute to his parents. And to me, that was just really beautiful. And I I really like this movie. Um, it was really great. It was really great. I don't have much else to say about it. It's one of those films that I thought was really, really good, uh, but I just don't, don't have too much else to say about it. I'm really excited to see it again, though, because just because of the cinematography and how masterly crafted this movie looks and just how masterly crafted everything is. Uh, if I do have any issues with it, though, was that uh, I just... I, I found the pacing not to be slow. It's slow. The movie's only like an hour and t- like t- 30 minutes. Uh, but I just felt like... Uh, I don't know. I just felt like... I don't know. I just felt like this movie kind of just like doesn't do much with the time that it has. I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm, I'm very tired, so I'm trying to think of, of things to say, but uh, I think this movie was really good. I really much enjoyed it. I was really excited to see it, and I wasn't disappointed. Uh, I was. I really enjoyed it. I think I gave it four stars. Four out of five. Um, it's really good. I don't know. Uh, I think it comes out in theaters officially in December, so everyone go check it out then. Uh, but yeah, I really much, I really much enjoyed it. I recommend it. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. It's sitting on my computer here and just haven't had a chance to get to it. It's good to hear that it's an hour and a half because Reed tends to, to 
recommend movies that are way too long. Uh, no. <laughs> you mean perfectly uh, uh, timed. Reed will recommend me a movie, and I'll look at the runtime, and it's just like, uh, another Reed long epic movie. Oh my god, but it's good. Anyways. Uh, so moving on, I'll I'll cover real briefly. I hope um, a movie here that Reed I don't believe has seen yet. You know, and we say briefly, but it's never going to be brief. I'm I'm works. really I'm really trying to be conscious of it this episode. Um, so uh, so I guess this is an Amazon Prime exclusive. It came out like two weeks ago, and it's uh, Coldplay, A Head Full of Dreams. It came out in addictions, and it came out in tension, and at the time it was a real struggle. Like, you like hearing you two strangling all my lyrics? I can't sing about anything or anybody. Only 32 uh, concerts to go before the end of Coldplay. What's that? What are you singing then, Dan? Before the lyrics? Tears stream down your face when you lose something you can't replace. Tears stream down your face and I I I I I I I. That's it. No, I mean it sounds good. I was just wondering if it could be something which makes a bit more sense. And it's a documentary feature. Uh, people that know me, surprise, surprise, I'm a big Coldplay fan. And um, I didn't know. Yeah, so I was really, really um, – I always knew that I was going to like us just because I of the love I have for the band and their music. And I've, I've been a fan for like 15 years, something like that. Uh, so it's been a long time. So something like this is always going to appeal to me. And uh, the trailers and everything – and the accompanying live album that's coming out with it made me feel like it was going to be just a concert film, which I'm I'm all on board for. I love concert films. I, I own a number of them and I revisit them and just an enjoyable I love live music, obviously. It's the the main thing I photograph in my spare time. But um what this actually served as was like a complete retrospective of the entire history of the band. And uh and they did not shy away from things that you would think a typical a band as big as Coldplay, like any type of controversy or infighting or anything like that. I mean, it was all kind of laid bare there for everyone to see, and I thought it was really awesome, and I appreciated it. So you're not only getting the music and uh, and the tour footage, which I mean, their tours are incredible looking. I've never seen them live, but they're I mean, they're like the modern U2, except I guess U2 still modern too. Um, <laughs> But their 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 stage shows just I mean the production value is amazing and, and second to none. But um, it's directed by Matt Whitecross, who for those who don't know directs like all of the Coldplay music videos, like all of them. And uh, and I've always enjoyed their music videos. I've always thought they were really well shot. I like the cinematography behind their their music videos and the creativity behind them. And all that is completely brought into this. And it turns out this this guy, Matt Whitecross, is super close with the band, and he's been really close with them since, like, day one. And um, the really cool thing that factors into this movie is he's been shooting them since, like, day one, and he has all the footage. Uh, so mm. you're seeing a very, very young um, – very, very uh, members of the band, and you get, like uh, – why am I blanking on uh, Chris Martin? Chris Martin, the lead singer. I was about to say, you Let, don't know the lead singer's name? How dare you? I, I know them, but for whatever reason, I was just blanking. <laughs> but you get, you get very young Chris Martin with like a head full of like long hair, and they're in college, and they're goofing off. and he, like It's even before they formed the band. I don't know what why matt whitecross was uh was just filming them i guess it was the equivalent of just like filming your buddies or whatever but like it's even before the band started 
so you when you seen the the band coming together, you're quite literally watching it happen. Uh, so that was a really neat thing. And the other thing that struck me was uh, Chris Martin is like the prognosticator of all prognosticators. He apparently just speaks things into existence because there's a number of times in this movie where you're you're watching this old footage of a young Chris Martin and he's talking into the camera and he's like, in four years, such and such is going to happen. And they go through the timeline and it would happen. And he did that a couple of times and he'd be like, four, in four years, Coldplay, and he said – if that's still our name, whatever we, whatever the name of our band is, we're going to like headline Glastonbury, and it would flash for like three and a half years later, they're on stage at Glastonbury headlining. Uh, so stuff like that's happening, and it's 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 just really crazy to see. But um, everything's uh, kind of scoped in in this Headful of Dreams tour that they're on right now, um, or that they've been on for like the last year and a half, actually. And I actually think it's uh, closed off now, and uh, the future of the band's kind of in doubt because for for a lot of years they've been saying that this is going to be the last album. This is going to be the last album. I think they're finally at that point now where like this was going to be the last album, and it's even addressed at the end of this film. Uh, but it's all kind of scoped in in terms of what's going on at that tour. But there's constant flashbacks, and they go through the entire formation and the history of the band. They go through every album, uh, so much so like uh, X and Y, their third album. They even talk about like that not being a great album. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very, very truthful, which is really refreshing to see. Um, and X and Y wasn't a great album. Save for, it had one of the, their best songs ever on the album, but the album as a whole wasn't great. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll keep it that. Uh, I don't know that if spoilers apply to a, a documentary band film type thing, but uh, I don't think there's much to spoil if you're familiar with the band. It's just a really awesome intimate in-depth look at the band and i think it's something that even if you don't if you're not a fan of the music it's really just something i think that someone everyone can get something out of it um not just not that i i'm delusional in thinking that people that hate coldplay are going to go out and seek out a coldplay documentary (laughs) but if they were i still think they would find something enjoyable about it and uh even further than that I i feel like that they would come out with a greater respect of these these guys as people even if you don't like their music uh who these people are just as human beings really shines through and it's uh just a a really a really fun watch it's not super long and uh it if you're me you get a lot of great music you get a lot of great concert footage and then you get that in-depth story so that's on amazon prime now if you want to check it out completely free and uh it's incredible i actually went four and a half on it which was way higher than i expected but the more i thought about it After seeing it, I just I really loved it. So um, I expect I suspect it'll be on my top ten list at the, at the year's end. Oh baby. Yep. Uh, so go ahead and talk about A Star Is Born. I have yet to see this one as well. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. Pretty good. I started writing this song the other day. Maybe that could work, like as a chorus or something. I'm off the deep end. 
Watch as I dive in I'll never meet the ground Crash through the surface Where they can't hurt us We're far from the shallow now Can I tell you a secret? Don't worry, I won't tell anybody. But I'm not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> All right. So, A Star Is Born um, is written and directed by Bradley Cooper, and is a remake. I believe it's a remake of a old. I don't know if it was a. It's been remade like three times. I know. I've heard it. Like heard that. I don't know if it was originally like a movie or a TV show or whatever. But uh. Yeah, this is a remake of, I guess, the original Star is Born. I'd never seen anything about the original. I know my parents did, which is why they went to go out and see it. And honestly, I had no expectations for it. When this originally came in to theaters, I just, I didn't, not that I, I, I don't hate Bradley Cooper at all. Don't even hate Lady Gaga at all. I actually really like Bradley Cooper. And I was actually interested to see what he would do for his uh, directorial debut. Um I just didn't have any like interest in it like going in to see I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like I'll catch it later. Like it was nothing, but everyone I heard just said it was really good and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll eventually see it and I eventually saw it and it was really good. Um and I liked it a lot more than I thought I would too, because I kinda went in thinking, Yeah, this is gonna be good, but I'm not I'm not gonna get much else out of it. But Man, this is a really good film, and it sucks because uh, my f- my uh, work is, has been uh, on their radio has been playing the songs from this film, and it makes me hate this movie even more because uh, <laughs> they play it a good about six or seven times a day, uh, and I actually like the songs from this film, uh, and they just decide, hey, uh, we don't want you to like anything, so we're just going to play it 20,000 times a day, so thank you for that, but... Um, yeah, this film was really, really good. Uh, I honestly, if I was a betting man, I'd definitely put a lot of money on this thing, uh, getting a lot of nominations come Oscar time. Because, uh, yeah, this is definitely up that alley. But it's still really, really good. Um, Bradley Cooper, he's he impressed me with his direct. Like, he's a really good director, and I hope that he continues. And he probably will. Um I, and I hope he gets some good projects going forward. And and he was fantastic in the movie. Lady Gaga was fantastic too. Um, she was incredible in this film. Actually, uh, I she needs to be in more stuff. She's fantastic. I don't know if she has much acting background. I don't know, but either way, she was fantastic. She was great in this movie. And I think the greatest part about this was. I believe their romance. Like, I bought into these people actually, like, being in love. And their back and forth, the writing this film is fantastic. Their back and forth together is just fantastic. You felt like they're an actual couple going along in this crazy world of uh, music. And it was just really good. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, And, like, even, like, uh, Dave Chappelle's in this movie, which uh, might be a spoiler. I, I don't think it is. If you go on IMDb, it shows him in. But he just shows up one scene. And like, Dave Chappelle, what the hell are you doing in this movie? <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, it was really surprising. But, yeah, I and I was just really blown away by... I have never seen the original Star is Born. Uh, 
or any of the original God knows how many remakes there seems to be. But if you so I from what I know, it follows the same story pattern except a modernized version of it. So I was kind of surprised by where the story goes. Uh, of course, if you have seen the original, then you know where it goes. Uh, and I t I've talked to people who have seen it, and they've been, it's for, and who have seen the original too, and it follows the same beats. But it was just so emotionally impactful and so well done, man. The music in this film, like I said, also is great. Uh, just really great stuff um, that they created. And supposedly Bradley Cooper wrote a lot, of, and Lady Gaga wrote a lot of the music too, uh, of course. And they just do a fantastic job. Um, yeah, this is a really good movie. Uh, I gave it four out of five as well on this one. Uh, it's really good. Um, yeah, I have, no, I have no, nothing else to say. Uh, it seems like one. it seems like one of those Oscar bait movies that like even uh, casual movie fans like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I have it, it's definitely one of those. Yeah, I have a coworker who uh, is by no means like a, a cinephile or anything. She's very, I mean, mainstream type stuff. Mm -hmm. But she's seen it and she's been raving about it for weeks now. She actually, um, I've yet to see it, and she's she played me. I guess it's the main song from the. I, I wouldn't know, um, but uh, probably is Bradley Cooper's voice really impressed me. Like he has a yeah. really good singing voice. He can sing, man. I was impressed by that too. He can sing. Uh, so yeah, uh, last movie here that I haven't seen. Go ahead and talk about uh, Steve McQueen's latest Widows. <laughs> from what I understand, we both have a Jamal Manning problem. You don't. You don't live in my ward, Mrs. Rawlings. But if you're aware of a crime, you should really go to the police. Mr. Mulligan, you said whenever I needed help. Now, your family's been involved in Harry's life for many years. When I say help, I, I understand, mean understand, but... I'm not my father. As you can see, the years have taken a toll on him, and I do not want to go down that same road. So with much admiration and respect for your late husband and yourself, of course, I don't see what I can do. What I've learned from men like my father and Harry is that you reap what you sow. Let's hope so. So, widows, um, this was uh, probably my most anticipated movie of the year. Um, so for Steve McQueen, he's probably one of my top five favorite directors working today. Uh, his previous three films, Hunger, Shame, and 12 Years a Slave, I all gave five out of fives to. Uh, I love everything this guy does. Uh, and, um, he, uh, he did not disappoint. Uh, he did not disappoint. Um, there's a lot of criticism with this movie, which I somewhat don't get um and i'll get to that in a second but I'll, I'll talk about the positives first uh first off uh all the acting here um this is a great cast and a lot of the great people are only used in like a couple scenes they're very quick but viola like viola davis fantastic um he as usual viola davis is always like this really strong character in these films she's just a strong outspoken and here she's like a coward it's it's kind of 
a, f- a flip of what she normally plays. Why can't I remember her name? But um, oh my goodness, who are you? Who are you looking for? The girl in the Fast and Furious movies, Michelle Rodriguez. There you go. She was good in this movie. Like she had one of the more emotional and outbreak scenes of the f- in the film, and she was gr- like, she pulled that off great. I haven't seen her in much of stuff that I I find her to be a really great actress in. Uh, you know, Fast and Furious is not is not the not the movie that you want to be in uh, to show your acting chops off. Uh, have you seen Fate of the Furious? No, is that the last one? Yes. Yes. So there was a moment that almost made me cry, really? and I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> Holy! Crap. It's just no. It's just because I'm a baby, and because stuff makes me emotional. It is not a good movie, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there is something I felt ashamed and was shamed by my friends for tearing up at it but it was <laughs> <laughs> well um to be fair the first two fast and furious movies are like guilty pleasures of mine and i own the blu-rays to them and because i used to love them as kids but uh so i guess i don't know which one's worse but um anyways i own uh, them on 4k so <laughs> i think i got you beat. <laughs> Fine, fucking just top me at at everything, please. Um, <laughs> but anyways, Michelle Rodriguez, yeah, she's great. She's fantastic in this film, uh, and so is really all the acting. Daniel Kaluuya, oh my goodness. So, yeah, this guy is uh, this guy is uh, not a one trick pony with Get Out. This guy's fantastic, and I cannot wait to see him in more stuff. He plays a a bad bad man. He is a asshole in this film. And he pulls it off so well. He's in the same movie for not long. He's a supporting character. But, man, he is so good in this film. He's he's fantastic. Um, And so is really everyone. Colin, uh, is it Farrell? 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 I think it was Farrell. Farrell. Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell. Yep, that's him. I get him and Colin Firth mixed up for some reason. <laughs> like, I, I I don't know. They're both British. They both have similar... Colin Farrell's Irish, I think. Oh, well, fuck me. That's really awkward then. Uh, I'm sorry, Colin Farrell. He, he's a great actor. But here, uh, I guess that there's one thing they have him. His accent is... Uh, he's trying to do, like, the Chicago accent. And... Uh, it's really inconsistent. <laughs> it's really inconsistent. Sometimes he he has the accent, and like sometimes he doesn't. He just sounds like American. It's very weird. It it, it goes in and out. I think that's that's the one big thing with this performance is that it goes in and out. But um, yeah. Anyways, yeah. This movie's fantastic. Steve McQueen is great. There's such I could go into this. I feel like we could talk about this movie and like do a deep dive on it because there's so much layers to this film. There's so many. There's so the story is also really good. It's a heist film, but it's more of a drama. It's not your typical high speed fast. If you see a Steve, Mc, this is like Steve Steve McQueen's version of a of a normal film. Because <laughs> if you've seen any of his previous films, it's not normal. This is like his attempt at a mainstream film with still that artistic uh, flair to it, and I think he did a really great job. I really love this film. The more that I think about it, the more that I love it. Um, it's hard for me to really go deep into this film and like, because I want to go deep into this film and like, what it's about. But I don't want to spoil. And I'm trying to keep it short. And obviously, that's never going to happen. Um, but yeah, I love it. One thing I do want to mention though is a lot of people, like a lot of the criticism I see is that like, 
a lot of the like I guess the heist quote unquote moments didn't have enough tension to them. Like they weren't like in test, they weren't invested and like I don't know. I felt like when I saw people's when I see, read people's negative reviews, I feel like I saw a completely different movie because I was engaged, I was invested into these characters. I wanted this this movie was uh, Let me see how long this movie was. It was like 2 hours. It was like 2 yeah, two hours. Two, right around the two-hour mark. I wanted it to be longer. <laughs> I did not want this movie to end. Like, I was having such a fun time watching this. Um, and I was just so invested into these characters and these characters' lives. Uh, and just, the film was also just shot beautiful. There's this one long take of, uh, and let's just say it's on a hood of a car, and it's fantastic. It's like one of the best shots of all year. Um, and yeah, that's... Um, all that I will say. I gave it four and a half out of five. I really love this film. Steve McQueen does it again. It's his first film that I, I didn't give a five out of five to. But, like, I mean, four and a half isn't bad, is it? So, it's a really great film. I highly recommend it. Um, so, yeah. All right. I don't think I've given five stars to a film this year yet. I gave I have one. to go and double check, but it's been uh, it's been a lot of four and a half, so. Yeah. There's there's a couple that I still need to rewatch to see if I gave it a five too, but no. Uh, so moving on, uh, this is a movie that we've both seen, and it's by, by I think by one of our favorite directors, both of us, mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle's latest latest called First Man about uh, Neil Armstrong in a certain period of his life, culminating in being the first man to uh, step foot on the moon. I don't know what space exploration will. Uncovered, but I don't think it'll be exploration just for the sake of exploration. I think it'll be more the fact that it allows us to see things that maybe we should have seen a long time ago, but just haven't been able to until now. Does anyone have anything else? Yeah. Neil, I was sorry to hear about your daughter. I'm sorry, is there a question? Um, what, I, what I mean is, uh, do you think it will have an effect? I think it would be unreasonable to assume that it wouldn't have some effect. I'll just be real brief. We were mentioning before the show started that this is a, a tough one to talk about because it's just everything's so good that you're kind of dumbfounded as to what to say. Of it, and it, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got really good performances. Um, the thing that struck me, uh, perhaps most just aesthetically, uh, they use a lot of different um, mediums. They used 16mm, uh, 35mm, and I think there was some digital stuff in there too. But the entire movie looks like it was made in 1969, which, yep. I mean, obviously it should because it's a, you know, I, I, I hate to call it like a biography. It, it kind of is um, a little bit. Or mostly, I guess, but uh, it doesn't feel like your typical biopic type type thing. Um, but the movie also feels like it came from 1969. Like there's a just, you know, when you're watching an older movie, it, they feel different from current stuff. Like this, this yeah. felt like an older movie to me, uh, and I, I mean that in the best way. That's uh, not a slight at all. Um, Ryan Gosling uh, did an amazing job, uh, as usual. Yeah. I don't think there's a better actor that does stoic face better than Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and that's like the majority of this film. Like, because uh, Neil Armstrong, obviously, um, 
not obviously. I, I, I didn't know. I don't know much about them uh, other than, you know, the obvious historical significance to the country and everything. But uh, he uh, bottled a lot of stuff up. And as someone who does the same exact thing in life, like I, I relate to that. But nobody can portray that better than Ryan Gosling. There were just long stretches in this film where I, I'm watching and I feel like Ryan Gosling hasn't said a word in <laughs> such a long time. But like he's he's completely – the performance is captivating. You can't not watch him. Um, and uh, the the woman who played his wife, uh, Claire Foy, she did an amazing job as well. Everyone, re- everyone in this really did an awesome job. Uh, I was happy to see uh, Patrick Fugit back. Uh, who is someone I always root for from his almost famous days, and you don't see, tend to see him in anything anymore. And Kyle Chandler popped up here, and you got Jason Clark, um, who I still haven't forgiven from the last Terminator movie. Uh, is that his fault, though? <laughs> I really don't, I don't think know. It's his, I don't think it's his fault. He was just like, yeah, I'll be in a Terminator movie. I want a paycheck. Uh, now, to moving be fair, on. <laughs> to be fair, he signed up for that shitty movie. So. Yeah, uh, Corey Stoll I thought did a uh, a great Buzz Aldrin. Like after the movie, I uh, I was uh, doing some wiki research, and uh, they did some great casting in this because uh, Ryan Gosling he looks looks like Neil Armstrong, and Corey Stoll looks like Buzz did back back then. Uh, so that was an awesome little bit of casting I thought. Um, but overall, yeah, I don't have a ton to say. I'm not going to go real. Deep in depth, I don't have any notes uh, written out for this or anything. It's just a really, really intense look at everything that went into getting a man on the moon. And it makes you feel that intensity and it makes you feel that exhaustion because there's quite literally a a trail of deaths that lead to putting that man on the moon, uh, which I didn't know about. Uh, So that was – it was – it was educational while watching, you know, high art. Um, and lastly, any any little bit where Gosling's out in space or on the atmosphere, the movie opens with him bouncing off the atmosphere. All those sequences are super intense. They're super yeah. – I would imagine they're realistic. I've never been in space. But whereas a lot of other space movies made me, made me think like uh, – it would be cool to be an astronaut. This movie does not make me want to be an astronaut. This movie's like, this is the, being an astronaut is the last thing I want to be after <laughs> seeing this movie. Um, it, it really, it really goes into like showing the rigors of what it takes, uh, not only physically but mentally as well to to what these guys did. Um, so yeah, it's highly recommended. I, I landed four on it. I think you may have went a little higher than me on it, but uh, go ahead and you can talk. Actually, I went four too. Um... Yeah, I went for two, and then, you know, we talk talk about Damon Chazelle. Uh, he's another guy. His uh, other his other two feature length films I've uh, given five stars to. So, oh, Whiplash is, is one of my favorite movies of the modern era. Oh yeah, Whiplash is fantastic, and La La Land is another five star fantastic film. I, people hate on La La Land just because it's cool to hate on La La Land. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> But like this is another one of my uh, most anticipated of the year, and I like that Damien Chazelle's doing something different. Um, it shows that he has range and that he'll he has a lot of versatility in what he does, um, and not just the guy that makes you know movies about jazz. Uh, 
even though I fucking love the movies he's made about jazz. But this there was, was no jazz in this film. There was no jazz, but the score I thought was really good actually. Um in the film too. And yeah, this uh this film was really 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 good. Um like you said everyone the it's it's just like a really well-made solid f- film. They shot um the film in 16 millimeter, then 35 millimeter, and then 70 millimeter IMAX um, towards certain space shots. And I, like you said, it feels like a movie that fits a time period. It feels like a movie that was made in the 60s. It, it, it feels just like that. And I think that's one of the strengths of this film is that it just feels so genuine. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I really like this film. It's been a while since I've seen it. I saw it probably about a month ago, a month or two ago, when it first came out in theaters. And um, I, the the scenes where he's in space are so gripping and so inc- incredibly well made. The, fi- the, the can't, He uses a lot of handheld, too. But it's done so beautifully and, like so well done and the cinematography is just fantastic Ryan like you said Ryan Gosling there's like you said he, he fits perfectly for this film um, his st- I, I love Ryan Gosling so much he's one of the best working today and he he's fantastic in this flick he like you said he's incredibly distant but he but Ryan Gosling just fits that so well um, and uh, yeah I'm trying to think of much else to say this is just like a really well made film I don't. I obviously don't love it as much as his previous two, but I still thought it was really good. And I I like that it shows that Damon Chazelle has, um, has range in that you he doesn't isn't going to stick to the same film every time. So um, I'm interested to see what he does next, though. That I think that's the interesting thing for me. Um, the the last little bit I wanted to bring up too before we move on to the last movie. Um, to me, this movie shared a lot with Whiplash in that. Um, they're, they're, they're very different. I'm like, like we joked, there's no jazz or anything like that. And this, the stakes are obviously a lot higher in this <laughs> film. Uh, Just a little but, bit. but the character is characterization for those who have seen whiplash and I won't go into any spoilers on that. Although I do see that being a deep dive someday. Cause both of us profoundly love that film. Oh my goodness. Um, but the, the obsession with being perfect, yeah. is something that is shared in Miles Teller's character and in Ryan Gosling's Neil Armstrong here. And I it's it's very easy to see that and pick up on it right away. Like it's it's one of those things where neither man are are content with ordinary and no one should be content with ordinary, but they take it to a level that's just like way above what anyone could would you know suspect. And uh to the point where it it affects their their personal lives and their relationships and, and everything like that. So uh, that was one correlation that I thought was really neat between those two films. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, yeah. I don't have much else to say. One thing when you mentioned that uh, making that being an astronaut sounds scary. One of the, <laughs> that reminded me of someone I follow on letterbox and the review put, man, being an astronaut looks way less fun than I used to think. <laughs> Which yeah, there was immediately brought up. I was like, "Oh, yeah." Uh, what was? I think it was maybe Matt Singer put something like uh, his son. He watched it with the son, and uh, his son said, "What was the the space movie from the eighties? All the right stuff, I think, something like that." Uh, said yeah. that that film made me want to be an astronaut. This film does not. 
And yeah, yeah this this movie is harrowing. Uh, it ma- really makes you feel like one say and then I'll say I felt claustrophobic. Like I felt like I was in there. Oh yeah, yeah. With the people that like with it. Especially. Those close up shots with the sixteen millimeter just it is very claustrophobic. Yeah, it's it's fa- I lo- I love that. I thought that was great. And then that and and I'll, I'll shut up after this. Um, Chazelle did an awesome job in framing the story in this, such as this is obviously a big national accomplishment. And at the time before it even happened, it was like a world thing. It was the race to space. Um, <clears throat> but you take something which is quite literally, it doesn't get much grander in scope than like something the whole world is watching and is actively, you know, has thoughts and feelings and participation yeah. on. And he touches on that, but he, he did a great job of just making it feel completely personal. Oh, yeah. uh, in, is... in, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the moon landing, the the moon landing, which in my opinion I think is the best part of the film, and that's always I think a good way to go out is your last, uh, not scene but scenes like a a segment, a whole segment being the strongest part of your movie is always work in your favor. But I thought he handled that with such poise and and you you get that grasp of how big it is, but he brings it right back down to where you just it's you just feel what Neil Armstrong's feeling in that moment. Yeah. I mean, like this is a movie about Neil Armstrong, the person and the, and the trials and tribulations he goes through with his family and with his mission. Um, it's a personal film. Like people were complaining about how they don't show that them putting in the American flag. Oh, that's ridiculous. Like, shut up. You completely missed the point of the movie that like, it's in there though, too. <laughs> well, I mean, like they show the, they show the flag, you know, in the distance, but it's not, they don't show them putting it in. It's like, who cares? It's a movie about a guy. It's not a movie about, you know, I mean, it is, but at the same time, it's not a movie. Like, come on. It's a personal story framed in a bigger context. Yeah. Come on. But like, it's it's very – and they even touched – I mean the, the, the flag thing was ridiculous because, A, the movie wasn't even out yet, so no one had seen it uh, right. except for maybe some really early reviews, which were all glowing if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, you don't you don't see them planting the flag, but it, it that doesn't matter. They For those that are offended by that, they talk – there's plenty of stuff in the hour and a half before that where they talk about the race to space and it's very it's it is pro american and you have americans in the space system that are they want to beat the russians to space like that that aspect of it is completely really represented so the there's no yeah there's no reason for any controversy in this but whatever people are going to find something to complain about no matter what that's life so yeah. I'm going to move on here uh, because this one might go a little longer. Uh, <laughs> the last movie we're going to cover in Worth Checking Out is a movie that I love. I know Reed loved it too. And the more I think about it, the more I love And I'm going to have to revisit it, but it might be the one five-star film I've seen this year. And that's uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix now. If you have Netflix, you can watch it, and you should watch it because I'm about to spoil the crap out of it. Um <laughs> Spoilers, it's, bitches. Yeah, yeah, spoilers. We usually don't do spoilers in this section of the of the podcast, but uh, I just I have too much to say, and uh, I don't think I can tap and, dance around it. <laughs> and this is a movie about six short stories. Ever been robbed? Both sure enough have two times attempted. I should say one fell, I shot dead. Bingo! 
the other I held for the marshal. Both his legs were shredded. Some had to lock him in the vault there. Marshal don't come through but once a month, and he just visited the previous week. Had to billet that scamp for what? Three weeks applying a poultice of wet leaves and urine. He's in human now. Busting rocks, still a little gippy from what they say. Fella by the name of... Shivelli, uh, Shivelli. Unless I misremember. Said his happy was... friends all the cash okay you got me young fella you got me fair and square the large denominations I got a stoop for It's the latest from Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, who are masters, particularly when it comes to Western, like modern Western. Uh, they they just they period, have it down. I think period pieces in general, like every single one of their films, is a period piece. Yeah, like, but they have they have True Grit, they have No Country for Old Men, which I mean, kind of has Western influences. It's like, it's like a modern Western. Yeah. Kinda. So so the the old West in particular, I feel like they have just. They they know. I mean, obviously with everything, they know what they're doing. But like they they have a real penchant, a real a real talent for for these older type cowboy flicks. Anyway, uh, so this is uh, like like Reed said, this is six segments all pushing together into one movie. So it's kind of like um, I, I I see in a lot of allusions to Black Mirror. If anyone's seen that film or that, that television show. <laughs> yeah, I, I caught that a lot of people doing that comparison, which it, it's pretty accurate. Um, it's like six short Black Mirror episodes, all set in the Wild West. Uh, sign me up! Like that's that sounds <laughs> that sounds like exactly what I want to see, and uh, it was. So, um, I it's it. I'm not going to talk about all all these. I think I'm going to touch on all of them, but I'm not going to spoil all of them. Uh, but just I, I just want to go over some brief uh, highlights and read. You can jump in and out because I know we've we've talked about this a little bit as well. Um, so, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the movie title. The first each it's all it's all uh, the whole movie set up in the course of a book, like a a book turning pages and chapters. And the first chapter, which is the first segment, is also called the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's about the Buster Scruggs, this cowboy, and he he quite literally sings a, a number of times in his short little segment. And I absolutely love this. I think it was my favorite of the six. Although it's the more I think about it, it might be it might be tied. There's there's one other one that just really really captured my head. Uh, but I this this could totally be a, a feature length. And it would be incredible. Oh yeah, I was almost sad when it ended. I was like, "Oh, I love this guy." Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, most well known, I guess, from uh, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou," another nice. Coen Brothers flick. He's fantastic. He basically he's he's a singing cowboy. He's very uh, how do you put it? He's very clean cut. Very. 
he seems very wholesome. He seems very like 1960s down in Mayberry type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's like the most the quickest and most accurate gunslinger. So basically, he can get away with being a complete cornball, which he is. But he's completely deadly, and he's not afraid of killing people. <laughs> and that's where a lot of the humor comes from. That's about the extent of, of what I'm going to say about that that one. It's of all of them, this one's really straightforward. It's just um, it's just kind of like pure entertainment. There's some really funny lines in it. There's some really funny performances. There's some really funny death scenes. And uh, it has one of my favorite shots in the whole film. Which shot is that? Well, it's the one. It's the one where like he uh, takes off his hat and he looks and he sees the bullet in his hat and then the mirror. Like that whole sequence there. I want to because all those shots were just perfect. The uh, I'm going to jump around here a little bit talking about this, and uh, again, I'm trying to redeem some time and be as quick as possible. But uh, there's an interesting bookend here that I didn't pick up on for days until after uh, until days after I'd watched it, but. Um, I already gave the spoiler alert, so you've been warned. If you haven't, seriously, if you haven't watched this, go turn us off right now. Go watch it because Listen, it's incredible. People, it's a be- it's a better version of Million Ways to Die in the West. Okay, I've not seen that. I can't stand Seth MacFarlane, <laughs> but uh, yeah, don't blame you. This is incredible. This is, that was trash. So, uh, so uh, Buster Scruggs at the end of this, uh, like Reed just kind of alluded to, uh, gets bested. He gets shot in the head, dies. And he quite literally, his soul rises up from the body <laughs> and gains wings, and he's he's playing a song while floating up into heaven. Um, That's when I knew him. So like, okay, this is the movie. I, I'm, I'm loving this already. This is just crazy. Yeah, and this is this is the most out there one. Like the the other ones, except for the last one, the other ones are very pretty, very very realistic. Like they're they're not they don't have this kind of oddball charm like this. The, the Battle of Buster Scruggs does. But the, the cool bookend is the first segment ends with Buster Scruggs singing a song, and he's ascending into what we believe is heaven, what he believes is heaven. The final segment, uh, which I, I forget what the segments are called. I don't know off the top of my head. But that's the most vague and open to interpretation as to what's actually happening. I don't know. I'm interested in how you took it. The way I took it was the three passengers were on a trip to hell. Like this, this was the afterlife. They were being escorted to hell. And there is also a song in that one. And it's, it's very much a, a, a more somber song. Are we talking and, about the last one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I took that as to, as a two. Okay. For the most, for the most part. Yeah. It it's it, it starts and you you have no clue what's going on. the The first thing that's uh, very immediate is it looks totally different from all the others. Like it's very green. It's green and blue and dark, and the entire thing takes, except for the last shot or two, takes place inside of a cramped stagecoach with five people inside, and it's just a conversation. And that... it, it it's really masterfully done. The, the performances are great because it goes from. You know, you're getting a, a grasp of who all these characters are and, and or who they were in life, and things start getting revealed and things start feeling a lot more uneasy. And right in the middle, middle towards the end of the segment, there's quite literally a song about death, and it, um, and that's when things start getting flipped and you start 
getting let in a little more as to what's going on. And never at any point in the segment do they flat out tell you what is going on. It's a, it's very open to interpretation. They're all they all head for a hotel or what appears to be a hotel. It's dark and sinister and ominous looking. There's a, a man driving the stagecoach, and he, to me, kind of looked like the headless horseman from <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> like it, it looked sinister, and it was quite. It was blatantly put that he will not stop for anything. So at one point, um, one of the the stagecoach passengers becomes apoplectic, and it's become like a short little uh, medical emergency. And they outright say the stagecoach will not stop for anything. And he's just – I mean you get a quick shot of him and he's just like whipping the horses going at like a breakneck speed. So there's very – something very off-putting and sinister feeling about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's I just wanted to bring that up because you get like the, the heaven and hell aspects of it at the beginning and at the end of the film, which is kind of different. So um, – I will say that last scene is probably the best writing in the movie and just shows why the Coen brothers are just incredibly fantastic. Oh yeah. At, at everything. At everything. Just so creative. Like I, I just every with every passing segment I was just thinking like, who could come up with this? Like These guys. These it's <laughs> it's it's very familiar in if if you've watched or grown up watching cowboy movies, but it's completely different. Like it's Anyway, uh, getting on the, the second segment, which is um, probably the weakest, but it's still very good in my opinion. I... It has the most quotable line in the entire pan f- shot. Pan shot. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, laughed my ass off when I saw that. That was great. He uh, Stephen Root is the guy who plays played uh, the old bank teller. The yeah. way he says it, just pan shot. Pan shot. <laughs> it was fantastic. Pan shot. And, and speaking of bookends. Also in, um, uh, dang it! What was the uh, the name of that? Go ahead and talk for a second, because I'm going to pull up the names of these segments. Well, because... I, I I love another. This movie has kind of become a meme, or not this movie, but this one part I've seen a ton of times, where it's uh, a <laughs> they're they're at the they're at the at the you know at the end of the segment, and they're about to get hung, and uh, or hanged, however you want to say it, or whatever the correct term is. And James Franco is like – he looks over to the guy who's crying. He's like, first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, what he's speaking of is uh, the Franco segment is called Near Algo, Algo, Algodones, Al, Algodones, something like that. Um, and he's basically – he's a – He's an outlaw, I guess, of sorts, or a cowboy just completely down on his luck. It's never really made clear. This this one to me felt like the shortest of all the segments. Like it, it, was. it was very brief. Um, but anyway, he makes he makes the, the foolish decision to rob, rob a bank teller, and he chose the wrong bank teller because this guy is insane. And uh, he 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 uh, ties pans all to himself and basically <laughs> rushes Franco and just. Uh, anyway, it's it's this one very much. It's like a comedy of errors. Like things keep happening, and Frank Franco keeps getting bailed out by circumstance, and then finally he doesn't get bailed out anymore. And that's basically the the essentials of that one. It's it's humorous. It, it felt very short. This one felt like ten minutes. Maybe it's a little longer than that, but it was very quick. Um, you get a good bit of violence in it too with the Indian attack, but uh, it's definitely worth watching just for Pan Shot alone. Pan Shot was hilarious. Pan shot. 
and the look on his face as he's rushing Franco, <laughs> just yelling, pan shot. Um, but the, the, the other cool little bookend thing that they do here is if you go to the second to last uh, segment, so this Nira Godones is the second, go to the second to last one, you get something very similar to pan shot where the guy's just yelling, dog hole, dog hole. <laughs> Uh, but we'll get more into that. That's the girl got rattled, which might be my favorite of all of them. Really? Okay. I love that one so much. Um, Mill okay. ticket. Mill ticket is. Favorite. Mill ticket is completely disturbing. Uh, That's why I love it. <laughs> and it's it's only disturbing for one shot. Like the the entire. For me, this was the most. It felt the most quiet. Like it was, and for a long time, I was just like watching this thinking like what are they getting at like it's 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 it felt oh, like yeah. it was dragging and like this is this is for sure my least favorite of them until the last shot and i was like you you just blew my mind uh so I this is it. yeah liam neeson is in this and uh aside from some mumbling when he's when he's getting uh some change from uh patrons liam neeson has no lines no dialogue and uh basically liam neeson is what would you, how would you describe him? He's like a uh, a caretaker, caretaker, no caretaker. Uh, he's 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 credited credited as impresario. He's like a he he runs like a little stage show, but he's not a performer. Like he's the guy that does the business of it. And uh, and he sets it all up. He takes them to town to town, yada yada. Yes, and then uh, there's a performer. I, I don't remember the actor's name. He was someone from uh, Harry Potter. And he has no arms and no legs, legitimately. And his goal is he's he's a very good orator. He he, Liam Neeson will drive him to these places and set a, set up the little stage and and put him on, up on the stool. And this this performer will just orate to the people who are there. And whether it's you know Shakespeare or the Gettysburg Address or you know any line of performance, and he's very good at that. Like his, you can tell just by his uh, intonation and the way he he speaks. He's he's a, he's a performer and he's very good. Liam Neeson just will you know put the hat out and collect money and that's how they survive. And Liam Neeson quite literally has to do everything for this for this kid. Um, and he's a kid. He's he's younger. He has no arms, no legs. Liam Neeson has to take care of him. And this kid is quite literally Liam Neeson's meal ticket. That's how he gets his money. Um, but throughout the course of the segments, the money stops coming in as much. Uh, conditions are getting harsher, and you could tell the 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 relationship between Liam Neeson and the performer isn't the greatest. Like Liam Neeson, you could tell Liam Neeson gets kind of annoyed with ha like he has to feed him every spoonful and he has to help him go to the bathroom and all this. Mm -hmm. It's not a not a close like familial type relationship at all. It's a just a mutual understanding type relationship. Uh, and the performer also has no dialogue in this outside of the, his performances. They says nothing. I think that's uh, what I loved about it so much was that they yeah. tell the story like with like no dialogue like to the actual story. Like the only dialogue you get is you know mumbling and then in the, the, the performances the performances which has nothing to do with the story Aside it's all visual that, if you're not watching it you don't know what the story is because everything's exactly. just set up in shots but it's, uh, like a, it's a silent film pretty much almost yeah almost 
Anyway, Liam Neeson comes across this chicken who does some really incredible things. He purchases a chicken, and now the mill ticket is on the chicken. So they end this, and I'm completely spoiling this, but it's it's such a chilling shot. Uh, again, they're 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 traveling. It's dark. It's harsh. I, if I remember correctly, the snow is falling. It's 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 cold weather. Liam Neeson wa- park, parks the stagecoach and walks aside. And like grabs, what was it like a, a stump or a rock or something? It was like a big rock, yeah. It's basically the equivalent of the size of the performer, and he takes it over to this nearby bridge and lops it off and observes what happens. And then it fades out, and the next shot is the inside of the cabin where he was sitting, and all you see is the chicken, and that's how it ends. I love it. <laughs> I love it, it so is, much. Leak, <laughs> but uh, it was amazing, and it, it completely made that whole segment for me. Because until then, I was just like, I, I didn't under, I didn't know where they were going with it. It just felt like you were just kind of trot, trot, trotting along. It was becoming a bit of a slog, but uh, that last shot completely makes everything. Uh, the gal got rattled. I mentioned this might be my favorite. I, think, I don't know about you, but to me. This is the second last one, right? I don't remember the names, but this is the second yeah. last one. Yeah. Yep. I felt like this one went on was like the longest, and like maybe I think it was in terms of time. Yeah. I felt like it just like kind of was going on, and I was like, "Where is this going?" Okay. And then I don't know. It, it felt like not to drag per se, but it just kind of. It felt like the mo- movie was going, and then as soon as it got to this, it kind of stopped until you know the last uh, kind of shootout. Towards the end of the scene, I don't know. I, not that I don't, I don't enjoy this scene because there's actually a lot that I do enjoy about it. But now that I look at it, this is actually this isn't this doesn't follow up Mill Ticket. But since I already mentioned it, we'll talk about it because there's one more between Mill Ticket and this one. But the guy who rattled in terms of time, I, I do believe it is oh, the longest. Oh, it's the prospect. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, guy who got rattled in terms of time is the longest, and much like Mill Ticket, this one for a long time felt like okay, this. I mean, this is sweet, but where are you going with it? It's you're taking your time, and it's the last shot that completely made the whole thing again. Um, although it was more of a ramp up to that last shot as opposed to meal ticket, where meal ticket was just very quiet, and then that last shot completely floored you. Whereas with this one, the last shot completely floored you, but you're seeing some action stuff leading up to that, um, so it wasn't as uh, jarring, I guess, going from one extreme to the other. I think because maybe why I felt like this one was so long was because the last one, I felt like half the size, like half as long as this one for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it was just because I was watching it. But... The Mortal Remains, the final one? Yeah, the final one, I felt like was just like... Except for the Franco episode, the Mortal Remains felt like the shortest to me. Like, it yeah. was not long at all. So that's why um, it maybe made this one feel like so long compared to everything else, but... Yeah, but uh, this one is as close to a love story as you're going to get in this film. (laughs) Unless you count the prospector and his golds. Yeah, Um, but this one is just uh, is about a young woman who's being taken to Oregon, and uh, her brother ends up uh, passing away. Her brother had set up like an arranged marriage type deal. And uh, if I remember correctly, there's some business tied into it as well. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. And they have like a little uh, line of uh, stagecoaches, a wagon train, uh, escorting them there. 
and that's that's the gist of it. Her brother dies, and there's some stuff that happens. I'm not gonna go too deep in the, in this one. This one's very straightforward. It's just um, it ends very sad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I I'm not gonna talk. I don't think I'm gonna say much more about this one. It does have it might be the only one that really has an action scene aside from if you want to count some of the Buster Scrug stuff in the first segment. Uh, the the second one has. Had the so, Indian attack, yeah. That bit. was quick. That was like an Indian massacre. Yeah, and there was, uh, this and one was mainly focusing on Franco. It wasn't focusing more on the action. So. Yeah, this one's very much. Uh, I, I forget the actor's name. Uh, not Bill Heck. Bill Heck was the guy who played uh, the love interest, I believe. Uh, Mr. Arthur uh, Granger Hines, according oh, to. Oh yeah. He's he's basically fending off a little battalion of Indians, and uh, and he he's he's one of, he's an elderly gentleman like he does this for a living, uh, escorting people. So he knows the land like the back of his hand. Like he he's very good, and he he realizes that some stuff happens. And the the main woman Zoe Kazan, who does a marvelous job in this, uh, is stuck out in this field. And there is an Indian watching her, and she doesn't think anything of it, and he knows what's about to happen. And basically, I mean, he knows what it is, what it is, and he he's he's trying to defend her. And he mentions to her, he hands her a uh, like an old revolver, and tells her, he says, if I if I get killed, you use this, and you use it on yourself. And he explains to her all the reasons why, and he's explained and they're terrifying reasons. And uh, so he's 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 fending off the Indians. And he's doing he's doing quite well. They end up coming in two waves. The second wave, it looks like he has it all, but all but driven them off. And he uses the land to his advantage because there's a lot of prairie dogs in this field. So the Indians are rushing him on their horses, and the horses are taking dives because they're hitting these dog holes. And that's where the whole dog hole dog hole. He says it a couple times. Not as good as Panshai. He's trying to Not as good, out. but it is in the same vein. Of course. Uh, but uh, one of the Indians ends up getting really close to killing him. And uh, and the, the guy ends up surviving, and he kills the Indian. He goes back to Zoe Kazan, and he realizes – and he sees that she had put the bullet in her head uh, the minute she, as soon as it appeared that he had been taken over. Uh, that's all mixed in with this like really sweet uh, homesteady love story, and that in that love story makes this all the more heartbreaking. <laughs> this is the one like I watched it, and I'm watch- I'm not I'm in a room by myself, and it's like one o'clock in the morning, and that happens, and I literally just went oh like yeah like there was someone here with me watching like I right. actually verbalized when that happened. I did too. Um. So that was a really sad one. Uh, going back one segment, you have Old Gold Canyon, which is um, about a prospector. Tom Waits, the singer, uh, does a really fantastic job in this. I thought and he's mm-hmm. a, a, just a, this one's really uh, kind of straightforward too. He's just a, a grizzled prospector, and he's uh, he's sure there's a lot of gold in this canyon, and he's intent on finding it, and that's what it's about. Um, he has a. Uh, basically does all this work and the majority of the segment is watching him do all this work (laughs) and he finally finds it and there's a no good coward that shoots him in the back who had been camping on his site watching him waiting for that discovery uh but that ain't 
gonna put Tom Waits down. <laughs> Tom Waits mm-hmm. recovers, kills the guy, and uh, one of the funnier lines in the entire movie is uh, Tom Waits searching the hole in his body, and he goes, "It ain't hit nothing important," <laughs> and he says it so joyously. Um, and this is this is like this is literally the only one that ends kind of happy <laughs> because right. he, he gets his gold and he, he just he drives off or rides off. Uh, and we talked about mortal remains towards the beginning, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. We, this might be uh, prime for a deep dive, maybe in the, a while from now. Uh, but definitely something to watch. I absolutely adored this, and like I said, it it might be I, right now. I, I have it standing at four and a half. Um, that's only because four and three quarters isn't available on <laughs> Letterbox. This Which four it and shouldn't. A half. <laughs> this four and a half for me stands above the other four and a halves I've given this year. Although I've given, I feel like I've given a lot of four and a halves because it's been a really great year for movies. But this one, I don't know. I've seen some of the reactions. Uh, I've seen some mixed reactions on it. I've some, seen some people that didn't love it as much as I did. I've seen people that loved it as much as I did. I just, I, I really adored it. I landed on the side of just thinking it was a marvelous movie and just so entertaining and and so worth your time. The fact that it's split up, it's 132 minutes, but the fact that it's split up into segments makes it feel like so much less than that. And uh, yeah. it's just a, a lot of great tales from the old West. And I really wish this were like a yearly series. I'd love to revisit every, every year, like six new tales from the Coen brothers, old West. Right. I just think that would be incredible. Um, but yeah. Uh, did you have anything you want to say about it? No, I think I went three and a half when I first saw it, and then I, and the more I think about it, the more I, uh, I really like it. So I went with a four, and it deserves it. It's a really good movie, man. Yep. It's a really uh, good movie. It's really well done. I mean, like the Coen Brothers, making bad movies to them is like impossible. Uh, they just they know what they're doing. Like, they just know how to make films. Like, it's just it's like you know, it's it's it's, it's easy for them. It's so easy for them to do. So, uh, yeah, this was uh, a really great film. Really great it was. film. So, um, so that's it for uh, worth checking out. That might be our longest worth checking out ever, even though like we've deep, been trying to... It's a damn deep dive. Yeah, for Ballad. Uh, but we're going to get to the actual deep dive now. Oh, and uh, it's, Reed's, it's Reed's week, and I, I, I think this is going to go long uh, because... I got a lot to say about this movie. This is a uh, read picked a really great movie here. Damn and sure uh yeah, so go ahead and take it away. So my deep dive might not consist of scene by scene by scene by scene as Beige, uh went last time. Um, but I'm definitely going to go hit the points, hit through the scene, go through the movie. Um, this movie's called Mommy. Uh, came out in the year 2014. Directed by Xavier Dolan. And uh, 
the movie is uh, just to kind of talk what it's about. It's about a mother who is raising her violent son, and it's basically about their life. And uh, we're going to go through it and talk about it. And it, um, it's fantastic. So let's kind of talk about this. Some trivia about the director before we move on. So uh, Xavier Dolan, he was 25 when he made this movie. Only um, 25? And he was 19 years old when he got accepted into Cannes with his first movie, uh, I Killed My Mother. <laughs> this guy. I'm, I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put that two together. That's funny, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. The, that's with his first film. Uh, he got accepted can when he was nineteen years of age. Uh, he's also an actor. Um, some movies that he's been in. Uh, one is Martyrs. I don't know if you've seen Martyrs. If you have, you're probably uh, scarred for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> um, he was an actor in that, and recently he's uh, an a- he was actually in he was an actor in the uh, the Bad Times at the El Royale, um, which is a movie I need I want to see, and he's also going to be in the new It movie, uh, It Chapter really? Two. Yeah, um, I saw that he was in uh, Bad Times, and I've been dying to see that. Yeah, uh, uh, but that's awesome. I didn't know he was going to be in It also. Yeah, and then he's also hold on. He's also in a movie called Boy Erased, which is out in theaters now, which is directed by Joel Edgerton. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty talented fellow, this guy. This guy is. Um, so, yeah, this... Uh, so, we start off the movie, and uh, it comes up with these with this text, basically, basically saying that there's this new law in Canada, which this film is, is set in. I should probably mention that first. There's this new law in Canada that um, basically if your son is – that your parents can basically check you into a mental institute whenever they please pretty much. Um, it's a new law that's passed into Canada as they mentioned and uh, that is uh, something that will be coming back into the film later. Um, this film is very weird. This, this film was set I believe in 2015. The year after this movie came out, and everyone has a flip phone, uh, <laughs> and like I don't know why I don't know why they couldn't just say this film was like made in twenty like or like you know it's set in two thousand eight. Uh, that text is something I'll bring up later, which is one of my only criticisms of the movie, which we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, I, I don't understand <laughs> why they couldn't just be like, yeah, this movie talks takes place in two thousand eight. Like what? I, I don't I don't know. You know, it it just wouldn't make sense. But anyways. I digress. So we start off the movie with uh, the mommy who is uh, played by, hold on. Anne Dorval. Anne Dorval. I had the names up here. I just had to scroll down because I'm stupid. Who uh, is tremendous. She is, all the acting is tremendous. Uh, yeah, you you basically in this movie, I mean, there's some side characters, but you get like, there's three main roles and all of them are incredible. All of them are incredible, which uh, I will actually kind of get this out of the way. Uh, this film sh- uh, was premiered at Cannes, of course, and uh, you know I don't really follow like awards or anything or what was won at Cannes or the Oscars because to me it doesn't matter. It's kind of all political, whatever. But uh, I think the best actress to won uh, at Cannes this year or that year when it came out was uh, Matt was uh, Julianne Moore in Maps uh, to the Stars. I believe that's what it's called. Uh, and um, 
That movie uh, was not good, and she wasn't all that great in the movie. And considering this movie was also uh, premiered at that festival, really kind of makes me mad that neither Anne or Suzanne Clement, uh, who plays Ka- uh, Kayla in this movie, like didn't win. Like that's ridiculous. But anyways, I digress. Um, so the movie starts off. She gets in a somebody hits her from the side as. I think believe they were running the red light or she was running the red light. But they, that's when the movie basically starts off as. Um, and uh, so basically she doesn't have a car. That kind of sets up uh, to stuff later. Uh, then she goes to a institute. It's uh, not a juvenile. It's not a Jew. It's not a juvie. I guess it is a juvie, isn't it? But um, it's a place where her son is being kept. And she talks to one of the, I guess, uh I guess she's one of the institutes, one of the one of the people running the place, and basically is giving an update uh, on her son, and that he, she, her son, set a <laughs> kitchen on fire. Um, you find out more about her son and how crazy this man is, uh, or crazy this kid is. I should say he's not a man; he's 15 years of age. Um, he has some developmental issues. Uh, he uh, has ADHD. Uh, yeah, he has a lot of stuff going on. It's basically, anger. it's basically the worst ADHD you could imagine because the worst. He's very angry. He's like he's basically a ticking time bomb, and ready to, uh, ready to go off at any second. And you never know what's really going to set him off. It's a very uneasy feeling watching because you never know like what the next the next line could be something that completely triggers him. Mm, but yeah. the the thing uh, I want to throw out there real quick because it sure. does come into play and it is be- it is. Possibly one of my, definitely one of my favorite things in the movie, is the aspect ratio. It's a one to one. Oh yeah, which I is didn't un- mention that yet. Yeah, it's a one to one is like unseen in movies, so it, it feels very weird. Um, the four by three is very, you know, is kind of making a trend back. You know, for, yeah. very rarely do are people using that. This is a perfect square. It's a, a one to one, and it just. When I when I went in this because Reed thankfully didn't spoil anything. He did tell you did tell me it it looked like it was like just iPhone so, just so ratio. you just so you want to be like what the fuck happened to my TV? Yeah, <laughs> like what's um, going on? But watching it, it's just something you accept right away. And initially, I was like, okay, so why why did the director make this decision? And I felt like it was to ramp up the intensity of everything because everything feels very claustrophobic when it's pushed in like that. So you have every shot that he's doing. It, for most of the movie, is has to be center framed because you don't have much area to work with. And then when there is actually uh, some arguments and fighting going on and some of the chaos is ensuing, it just feels like you can't escape it. Like well, while watching it in the frame. Yeah, that's why he he's the director said it. Xavier Dolan said that he picked the aspect ratio to kind of summarize what the characters' feelings and how they're almost like trapped. And how yes. they're like everything, like you said, is trapped. They they can't seem to almost escape with their life. Um, it comes back into play later, and it comes back into play a couple times in the film. And it becomes like for me, it was like the unsung fourth performance in this film was the aspect ratio. I've never seen aspect ratios done as well as this movie. Exactly, and it's it's kind of surprising that like more people haven't played with aspect ratios. You know what I mean, like. It added so much character to the film, but that's that's coming later. I'll, I'll we'll get to it. Of course, but I also want to mention that um, one thing here. Uh, he's actually played with uh, aspect ratios before, Xavier Dolan. The only other movie that I've seen of him is uh, Tom 
Tom at the Farm. Is that how it is? Yep, Tom at the Farm. Got that right. It was the film that he did before this. And have you seen the movie It Comes at Night by chance? I have. You remember how the movie, during certain sequences, the aspect ratio would go down? Do you remember that? I don't. That? No, I have no recollection of that. Well, anyways... The the full the whole movie is filmed in a perfect full aspect ratio sixteen by nine, um, and when an intense moment or like there's a fight scene during the movie or like a scrummage, the aspect ratio during it would actually go down and like lower to a letterbox, uh, not the website, but a letterbox, and it would come in during these intense moments. So almost every time it it came back in a, a couple times during the movie kind of like this way it does and every time it came back in you almost like grip your seat like intensify because you know something's going to happen mm. you know that some something S- intense is going to happen like subconsciously training your yeah, mind yeah, yeah. like subconsciously training your mind to know that something is about to happen here crap uh and that was something that uh really impressed me about this but this was just to a whole nother level here but um, anyways, uh, moving on. Um, so basically, yeah, she's talking to her son, she, the son, or to the person at the place. She's she's saying this kid's crazy. Uh, she even brings up the act that was mentioned, uh, the new law that was passed that was mentioned, and she ignores him. And sh- they she takes her son home. Um, and right away, you see how crazy this kid is. Uh, he kind of just talks out of his ass. He doesn't have any filter whatsoever. It's uh, he's very almost like near incestuous with his mother. It's very yeah. uncomfortable yeah, until you. It, there there comes a point in the movie where you get kind of used to it, and then it's just like, oh, that's just him being him, yeah. which is a weird thing to get used to. But <laughs> it's, it's very, very off putting in the beginning, and some of the things he does, it's just like, dude, that's your your mom. What are you doing? Mean, like he, for example, he grabs his mom's boob at one point, and she just like shugs it off like it's nothing, and it's like, yeah, that's just. Ugh. That and like yeah. it early in the movie, like she walks in his room when he's having you know alone time. Yeah, I was gonna, I covers. wrote that in my I wrote that in my notes. I was gonna <laughs> and it's just that. like, don't let me stop you. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a very weird relationship. Yeah, they're very free free spirits, I guess you could call them. Um, but it, and it's something about the writing in this movie and the characters. You don't like these like like the like the aspect ratio. Ugh, I can't speak. The aspect ratio is like almost an adjustment to get used to it for at first. These characters are also an adjustment to get used to. Oh they're, yeah, they're so they're so out there and so different. Um, and I don't think people write would write a movie like this with characters that you almost hate at first. Like not not necessarily hate, but you almost just don't like at first. I mean, you know, right here the next scene. Not the next scene, but they're going out shopping, and they have, uh, I guess, a taxi driver or an Uber driver, whatever it is, and uh, the guy just, like, f- flips out on him for not, uh, the driver. I forget what the argument was, but the kid just starts calling this black guy just the most racist things he possibly can, and it's like, that's like the, the, the second, like, like, we're, like, less than 20 minutes into this movie, and you're already presenting me with the main character that's a racist, but with he a... doesn't... Like almost, he can't like. It's just he he doesn't know any better. With a much say. less talented director, this movie could have very easily gone in a completely different direction in the wrong way. Because, oh, yeah. like you said, the main character. Um, well, I, I guess it's there are three main characters. You can argue whether uh, the mom herself is the main character or if it's the son. Um, 
the son's name is Steve in the movie. Steve, mm. it took me a good 50% of the movie way into the movie before I even felt the slightest hint of sympathy for him. Like, exactly. yeah, I, I don't like to use the word hate, but I, I, I quite literally, I hated this character for the first half of the movie. And that's, that's a ballsy thing to, exactly. he's, he's the main character. Like that's, he's, he, the movie poster is quite literally a shot of his face and I can't stand this guy. And then you got the mother who you're like, okay, maybe the mother will balance things out. You get more sympathetic, but you don't really feel sympathetic for her either. Cause she mm-hmm. has her own stuff and she's just as, in a lot of ways, just as messed up as he is. And then the, th- I mean, the third main character, Kyla barely speaks when she does speak, she stutters a lot. So it's, <laughs> yeah, you're not just... getting much from there either. So for a lot of this movie until, you know, the first uh, music montage, which we'll get into cause I adore it. Uh, but until that point, like I, they weren't losing me because it was very interesting to see what was going on and try to figure out what the way things were going. But there was not very m- much to like in any of these characters. No, and that's something now people variety movies, they want you to like their characters right away. They don't, oh, want, you to, they don't want you to earn – they don't want to earn that. They want you to like them right away because – or else not, you're just not going to be invested, right? This movie makes – like earns it. It earns you liking these characters. Rather than writing a character that I would like, you know, with characteristics that I would Uh like, this movie made me conform the way I thought to what this character was so that I could like him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. um, Anyways, uh, there's another uh, fantastic shot here with that could really only be done with the aspect ratio, which there's another couple which we'll talk about. Um, There's a shot of the microwave. And uh, you know how the microwave come, uh, kind of comes across and says hello. Well, with the aspect ratio, it cuts it cuts off the O at a certain, and then it comes back with a hell with a hello. So all you see is hell, which is kind of a metaphoric uh, thing of uh, what these characters, or at least the mother, is uh, or mommy, is uh, living through. Uh, which I, I thought that that shot was brilliant. Well, the the son too. We just don't know why yet. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, but. Um, we also learn uh, at a certain point that his uh, dad passed away a few years pr- prior to this, which is the reason why he uh, he was put into that in a juvenile place uh, before. Um, so, yeah, um, we uh, so basically uh, after, at a certain point. I'm for, I, for, I don't have my notes, or I don't have that in my notes. Damn it. I don't realize remember what the fight was starting about. I believe it was because the Steve was playing music loud, but uh, the mom, also known as Di, they call her Di for Diane, um, Di, they get into this, this argument, this really crazy argument where they just start yelling at each other. It gets of, physical, too. It gets physical, too. Starts Steve starts choking Di, and then Di has to take a... A, a painting, I guess it's a painting. Yeah, like a pain glass painting. It just smacks it over his head. Uh, she, he, like doesn't understand why he does that. He he goes, why 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 did you hit me? Why did you hit me? And it's like he doesn't understand why she hit him back. You know, it's like yeah, she, almost to me, it, it felt like not that he would black out with his anger, but just like he had no. Yeah, no control. No control and no no way of like understanding why someone would take negatively to the way yeah, he was speaking. Exactly. Um 
And then she goes downstairs. She locks herself in a closet, which I guess is in the garage uh, at some point down in, down below. And then um, she comes out to find uh, the across-the-street neighbor, which uh, is the... Why am I blanking on her name? I literally just had her name here. Kayla. Kayla. There we go. I literally just said it earlier. I'm terrible. Uh, yeah, she comes out. She uh, come, is out there kind of helping Steve to his wounds. Um and um, she, they kind of try to talk to her, and she just, she, you can tell right away she has a speed. I, at first, I thought it was because she didn't know French that well. Uh, maybe she was like an Eng- like she she uh, was, you know, she didn't speak the language that she spoke English as her first language, and maybe this is her second language or not. But no, she has, uh, I guess, a speech impediment. Um, so she kind of just, it's hard for her to say some words. A lot of Particularly times. when she's feeling stressed or, yeah, or exactly, under yeah. any type of anxiety, and um, she just kind of almost—I don't even think she says anything. She just walks across the street back to her house, um, and you see her early on when they're when they're walking by uh, her house, and uh, she—you uh, see her looking out and whatnot, and um, yeah, so she kind of helps out there, and through that, they almost kind of form this little little relationship she she used we find out she used to be a teacher at a school for whatever reason she's on a leave of absence um so while the mom is uh trying to find work she's actually is helping steve uh to tutor steve at her house and um there's this one just another freak out scene because of how crazy Steve is. So basically, the mom is going out for work, trying to find, trying to get this job, and Steve uh, is getting being taught by uh, by Ky- Kayla, and um, she uh, he won't stop playing his music, which seems to be another thing, and uh, he won't stop playing his music loud, won't listen, won't do anything, and she just lo- he I think he, I, you know at one point he takes a necklace uh, that she had around her neck. Um, and so it starts like making fun of it, like "Ooh, look at me" and whatnot. And then she just loses. She tackles him to the ground, just starts yelling at yelling at him. <laughs> Until the first it's, music montage, this was my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah, it's a straight up. It's it's finally like the break for me. It was like the breaking point of. At this point in the movie, I'm so sick of seeing this kid, and he's just getting away with everything, and he's acting like a complete lunatic all the time and doing whatever he wanted, wanting, whatever he wants, saying whatever he wants. And he's just being a jerk to everybody, and whatever it was about that necklace, I don't think we even learn in the movie, but he grabbed a hold of that necklace, and it must have meant something to her, and she just lost it. And now you're not seeing like quiet, stuttering Kayla anymore. Like she put him on the ground. And was in his face, and the the, oh, the yeah. shot in this, I, I love this shot, like because they're horizontal when they're face to face, and you get that just that like a little two shot of them, mm-hmm. and oh, she's yeah, real close, perfect. she's real close in his face, and she base she I mean she puts him in his place, and she basically was like, I I, I forget the exact phrasing of it, but she she brought up his dead father and she's like, I don't make you talk about your dead father. And the way she said it it was just so spiteful. And like, she's just unleashing. And he, you just see this kid for the first time brought completely low. And it's the first time, like he's supposed to be like 13 in this movie, right? Something like that. Uh, 15, I believe it was 15 for the first time. Like he feels like a 15 year old at this, like he's not going around doing whatever he wants and getting away with it and being, you know, like this vulgar, 
I mean, for a lot of the film, he feels like an adult because he's just doing whatever he wants. But in this moment, after Kayla sets him straight, he feels like a kid again to the point where he actually cowers in the corner. And he pisses his pants. He does, yes. Uh, the other thing I want to mention real quick, because in my notes I have it right before uh, what we just talked about. Uh, you mentioned he was playing music. And I think this is the scene, the one that sets her off right before he grabs the necklace. He's playing uh, Blue by Eiffel 65, which is one of the most oh. annoying songs of all time. <laughs> um, but this movie has has this little niche of picking music that should not work and in a lot of senses is completely corny and it makes it work to perfection like it's this isn't the only example of it the the blue song uh they do it earlier in the movie with like a sarah mclaughlin song and they do it later after this in some of my favorite scenes but it's like he's recycling these cheesy pop tracks but he's making it work so much better than you could ever hope for right yeah, and specifically then probably your favorite scene, which is also another one, which is like when I when I we'll talk about the scene in a minute though. But yeah, it, perfect. And I'm not sure he mentions a part uh, during the movie. They mention a part of um, he finds like some old tapes, I believe, or like some old CDs or something. And, uh, I I believe the mom said that's from uh, our road trip to wherever they went. I think it was to the states or something like that. And I don't know that his dad made. And I don't know if that uh, is like supposed to mean that th- that's what this music is from. But that's the way I took it. I-, I believe so. But also they play Lana Del Rey at the end. So, I mean. Well, I have a theory behind that too. Possible. We'll get to that when we end. Okay. Um, but yeah, she just – she loses her crap. And then after that, he kind of respects her. The mom gets the job at the place um, that she was trying to work on. I, guess, I think it's cleaning like really expensive houses. Um, and they almost they have a dinner scene where uh, he comes, <laughs> where they they have dinner and he comes out. I forget what song was that. The song was or am I, was it, it was before? a Celine Dion song. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, he just starts starts singing and he's dressed. He has like eyeliner on and yeah, it's it's in uh the song's in French. It's a Celine Dion song and uh and they have this. It starts off to me like when when the scene started, I was like, "Oh, here comes another fight. It's going to start," but it ends up actually being like a really sweet moment. Yeah, and it was so awkward when he just comes out, and I was like, "Oh God, this is really cringy." But yeah, it's uh, it was a really sweet moment there. And then, um, so yeah, then that that happens, and then uh, we had like this great interaction on the porch that I really loved between uh die and gala where they just they just have just great character writing and you just learn a lot about each other kayla still really doesn't mention how she lost her job uh or you know is on a leave of absence uh from teaching but like they just have they just have like such great interaction that's also where you uh like learn the exact things of what uh steve has he has a uh learning disability um he also has a uh, hold on, I had it written down. He also has, um, you know, his hyperactivity, and then he also has de- developmental issues, and then he also has like this obsession, like he he attaches too too much, almost almost too much, almost to a, an incredibly creepy point with his mother, which uh, we talked about that. Uh, a bit. Probably stemming from losing his father. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then after that, uh, we uh, get the Wonder Wall. 
montage. Oh my gosh, if I could marry a scene in a movie, it would be this <laughs> suit. So okay, we talked. You talked about music. Wonderwall is not a song that. Not that I don't like. I actually like the song, but it's not a song. I find it to be a little bit corny. It is. Little, it is. It's it's Oasis. It's a little. It's bit corny, corny and it's overplayed. Yes, although I love it. <laughs> I love yes. it because of this. <laughs> I love it because of this movie. Literally. I I, I love it just because I I love Oasis and I love Wonderwall, but when this started, I was. That's when it really felt like it was coming full circle in that like he's taking the corniest of tracks and he's like recycling them and giving them new life and yeah. uh go yeah. ahead i but like i because i never had much of appreciation of the song since i watched this movie last week um i think i've listened to the song like a good 30 times <laughs> i don't know it's such it's such a song that like since i rewatched this movie i just I've been loving it even more and more because <laughs> I never really listened to it that much. You know, like uh, people in my work will play it, um, and I find it a, a neat little song to play. It's a it's a fun one to sing along with. And um, one thing that's actually really cool and interesting on the uh, on the, I found this on the trivia on the album version of Oasis uh, or off Oasis of Wonderwall from by Oasis, uh, it, it start the the track starts off with a cough. Yeah, and in the movie, in the scene, uh, the scene before, uh, as the movie music's kicking in, uh, Steve coughs at the, like the exact same time as where the cough would be, um, which is pretty. Which I thought was really cool. That's a deep cut there. <laughs> it's, it's a deep, deep cut right there. But yeah, I thought that was cool, and just the way. And then this is when you realize why. Obviously, you understand why the we we've, we explained why the the aspect ratio is the way it is, but at a certain point he, 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 op- I, I've never seen this before with any other movie that's done this with aspect ratio, but he literally, he's on the bike and he opens his arms with the aspect ratio and the aspect ratio widens to a, a 16 by nine. And it's just, it's one of my favorite movie moments, like period. It, it is. It's, it's so awesome. First off, you need to watch this movie if you're listening. Yeah, what the hell is wrong uh, with you? What are you doing? We're spoiling the movie. <laughs> if for whatever reason you're listening and you're not interested in watching this movie yet, I posted the thing, posted the scene on the board. It's You need to watch it. But I'm, I'm taking notes as I'm watching for the show. And just immediately when that happens, in all caps in my notes, I have written in bright red, the pushing of the aspect ratio. <laughs> like with three exclamation points. Because – so Wonder Wall starts and it's um, – it's your typical like movie montage. Things are good. Uh, you're starting to see happy things together. Things are starting to feel like they're, they're fitting together finally for this family, for his mom in particular who had been struggling. And uh, and he's finally, uh, for lack of a better term, behaving in as much as this kid's capable of behaving. I mean he's not causing chaos. And uh, he's starting to appreciate it. And it feels like – even with this third party, this Kayla, who's a neighbor who has a family of her own that you don't see her interact with too much, like this little three-way of people, like feels like a little close-knit family now. Yeah. And then, 
and this is all still in the one by one. I mean, nothing's nothing's changed. This entire movie's been in one by one, and he's riding his bicycle, and they're behind him, and you see him like he breaks the fourth wall. He looks at the camera, and he spreads his arms out, and as he does it, the aspect ratio goes away, and it goes into a full sixteen by nine, which is what every movie is now almost. And he says, "I feel free," and it was just one of those like I it that was one of the, the probably the best moment of the entire film for me like that that if something was going to make me cry like that that would be what makes me cry uh i just yeah, i thought great. i thought it was so wonderful because it like we had mentioned before with the one by one ratio and completely a, the director's intent is to make everything feel so cramped and claustrophobic and intensify all that stuff so you're watching and it just feels like you can't get away there's nowhere to go there's no breathing room and when he opens that up on top of saying i feel free like everything it just feels like a tension completely comes off of your shoulders and uh it's just it's a montage it's a montage that should feel cheesy and it would feel cheesy in anyone else's hands i think any lesser director's hands but here it felt completely transformative like it this was a big leap for these characters and as a viewer i just i appreciated it so much when that aspect ratio opened up it just it felt like i could breathe again now sadly that wouldn't last very long <laughs> yeah <laughs> unfortunately and yeah the <sighs> Like one of my favorite movie moments here, uh, and it just makes me appreciate the song more too. Because <laughs> when I think of the song now, I think of this scene. Like I every time, like since I've listened to it, I think of it. I just think of this scene and how perfect the scene is. I love this scene so much, and it's one of my favorites of all time. Anyways, so we get to a part they they're they're having dinner uh, with the aspect ratio is still sixteen by nine. And then she, uh, you get a knock on the door by, I'm assuming it's like a, someone someone that works with the government, an attorney or whatever, whoever it might be. She's delivering, he's delivering a note and says that uh, files, that uh, that uh, charges have been pressed on his son because of the incident that I mentioned earlier at the uh, institution, the juvenile institution, uh, when he's uh, set a kitchen on fire. And it uh, burns some people pretty bad and hurts some people pretty bad in their pressing charges. Um, and it just seems like when everything's going right in their life, this thing pops up and I freaking love when the aspect ratio comes back in. Oh man, it, it starts so slow and then it's, it's uh, that moment. It's like a feeling that you're at, you're just no, 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 no. Oh. And then you're caged right back into it. Oh my God damn it. No, we're so close. Yeah, it, I just loved the way it came back in. It was like, and it's all one shot, and she's just looking at the thing, and it's just, oh my god, perfect. Um, so yeah, I forgot to mention this character earlier. I probably should have, but there's this character earlier. Every time they're walk, they're walking home because obviously, uh, as previously mentioned, in the first scene, she doesn't have a car. Her car got hit, and obviously, she still doesn't have a car. Uh, so there, there's a scene where they walk by where this guy kind of comes out, kind of flirts with her, say how beautiful she is. Um, and the son really doesn't like this guy. Um, now, uh, this guy, I guess, also happens to be a lawyer. So uh, they don't really have much money to afford a lawyer. So they're going to go out to dinner with him and uh, have a you know a good time with him. Because uh, basically so that they can get this lawyer either cheap or for free, yada, yada, to help out their son's case. Because the son is in a lot of trouble because he hurt uh, a lot of people. And he could be doing... 
It was alluded to in the beginning of the film with her first job before she got laid off that she had only been doing that because she had slept her way there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt like, to me at least, when she's trying to court this lawyer, it's just another, like, try to sleep your way into... And and the son knows this. Oh, yeah. Steve knows this, and he does not like this guy, and it's made very clear here soon. Um, so they go out to dinner. He, he, Steve's just not in a good mood with this guy. He hates this guy. He's trying, uh, he's trying to make small talk with him, and Steve's just like, "Nah, dude, get out of my face! Like, I, I, we ain't friends. We ain't buddies. I know what you're trying to do here." Um, so then they go out to like this karaoke bar, um, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, Steve, what song are you gonna play? Well, let's do some karaoke together." Yada yada, and it seems like Steve's just the third wheel here. He's third wheeling. They're having a good time, having drinks, and Steve's just third wheeling here. And then uh, Steve, for whatever reason, decides to get up and go up to the karaoke. And um, do you remember what song they play? I'm completely blanking on it. I don't. Or it's a foreign language song, so it's not something that I would know yeah. without looking it up. But it's basically insinuated that it's like a really kind of corny, romantic. feminine type romantic. Yeah song that not something that uh a guy would really be up there singing (laughs) pretty much and um he's kind of almost singing that for his mother or whatnot yada yada um and he's singing it and people on the bar making fun of him they're they're throwing uh, at one point the guy starts throwing stuff at him and then he just as mid as he's trying to sing this one guy is just picking on him and picking on him and he just attacks him and he just starts yelling starts and just all chaos ensues in this bar. Um, they get him out of the bar. They go to the parking lot. Uh, and basically another kind of fight ensues. And this is a, all one take. This whole like four minute uh, scene fight. Just with which is incredible. These guys like a four minute take of like this, in, this incredible like heated back and forth fight argument. It was just as all as a one take with a lot of movement is pretty great. They go to the parking lot and Steve's like, basically you're here to fuck my mom. Yada, yada, yada. I know what you're all about. And then he basically pisses off the guy and he says, says, screw you. I'm not going to help you help you have fun in your life. Yada, yada. He leaves. The mom loses his, her crap against, uh, against Steve basically says how much of a failure he is and that everything in everything in her life wrong is him. And he's just, she's just going off. And it's one of my favorite scenes. She's just going off. And her, the acting and the scene is so, by Di and by Steve, it's just so incredible. Di is, uh, she's just fantastic. And she's just going off about how his, her son is just ruining her life. She she walks up the parking lot and then she turns around and Steve's not there. I guess Steve went somewhere else. And, um, yeah, Steve, uh, then they find Steve at home. Uh... And uh, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I think, the scene after here. Uh, she comes home, and I don't know if she comes home, but she wakes up, and she finds Steve asleep in her bed, and Steve wakes up and says, and basically comes up to his mom and, like, says, it's, this is all you and me, and then tries to, like, proceed full-on make out with his mom, which was very disturbing and um, something else, to say the least. Uh, she quickly turns him down, uh, as she should, and uh, says no. Uh, like just just pushes her, him off and just walks away. 
Um, it was very, very weird. You can d- that's one of the scenes where you can definitely tell that. Um, yeah, some uh, he has uh, some attachment issues and doesn't quite understand stuff. It's very incestuous. Yes, very much so. Um, he does mention Steve does mention at one point that he. I don't know if it was just after this, but at one point he mentions he wants to get into Juilliard, uh, which is a uh, um, which is a school here in the states, which is uh, very high. <laughs> I don't know much about it, but I'm sure Steve, a cat, let's just say a cat, a student uh, like Steve, uh, unfortunately, would not make it into Juilliard. But great, but you can tell that he really is trying to change, even though he, you know isn't at the same time um we then um at a certain point um excuse me i'm having like stuff up my nose distracting me um at a certain point uh the mom mommy gets a gets a new car uh he shows she shows up with a new car um and then she mentions something to steve about packing his bags it seems like they're going on some sort of trip uh so that's when the second montage here happens with the this time it's not as great as Wonderwall where the uh where he is opening the uh aspect ratio this time it opens itself from an overhead shot um in this one this one broke I think this is where I teared up the second time watching this and and the first time towards the end uh yeah yeah this uh this this really messed me up
<laughs> this, this scene messed me up big time. Uh, so basically, what happens is they go, they drive out to like a, I guess a lake. They seem to be ha- talking, Steve having a good time, yada yada, montage form. They seem to be going out of the lake. They're chasing around each other, and then it goes in on this like great shot of mommy just watching them, watching them play. It's zooming in on her with the music building up. Now, this movie, uh, this music. Hold on, I have it written down. Uh, have you heard this movie or not movie? This music is called "Experience" by Luko Dovich. In fuck me, <laughs> I'm not going to try to say that because I am so going to get that wrong. But it has been used in uh, a lot of car commercials and commercials in general. Um, I don't know if you've heard it before uh, or if it sound f- sounded familiar to you. It's one of those um, things that it it I could see it having heard it before and not made like m- mental note of it because yeah. it does sound familiar. But oh my gosh, is it? It's it's, it's heartbreaking powerful. here. It's heartbreaking here. Um, but it's been I've noticed it because it's been used in like a thousand and one car commercials, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, when I first heard it, I'm like, that sounds so familiar. And then when I first watched it, uh, the first this movie the first time a year ago, uh, it was like, man, <laughs> like I, I remember just noticing it every time it was used. But from what I notice, uh, from what I know, this was used uh, for the first uh, time here at this movie or in this movie at a something that was that wasn't a ama- that was uh, made for uh, entertainment purposes. Uh, so from what I know, this is the the first movie to use it, but. Um, Excuse me, but yeah, it zooms in on her and then uh, on the mommy, and you start uh, seeing like a montage of her just imagining what her life could possibly be. Um, you see him take pictures of uh, graduating in his cap and gown. You see uh, him bringing over his first girlfriend over um and it's all shot in this very out of focus almost like slow-mo kind of some slow-mo but it's all shot in this it's shot very out of focus almost it it very much looks like a dream it's uh which is obviously the intent and from when i first watched it i go oh this is this has to be a dream like there's obviously there's no way um that wasn't a dream you see um you see him get mail that he got accepted into juilliard which uh, which is which leads to a great uh, slow mo shot of him in the rain, which is can't ever go wrong with that. Um, <laughs> then uh, you see him like kind of grown up a little bit, moving away to college. Which I will say, the guy doesn't. Besides the hair, doesn't look much like him. But uh, anyways, I digress. Uh, y- you see him moving away to college, um, and then you see him getting married. Um, and everyone's celebrating to this beautiful music, as I as I mentioned. Um, the music is just beautiful. And then, like I said, everything's like in slow. Everything is out of, almost out, like shot out of focus, then in focus, then out of focus, just to really make it look like it's a dream um, that she's having. And there's just like the way, the way, the way this montage ends, it's just so great. So great. It's this... 360 shot of of the mom as like she's almost like realizing in her dream that it's not possible everything and then as as it's kind of going around her the black bars come in and you just go oh fuck it was a dream like if you had any doubts of it the first time you watched it that it was a dream or not you're just like oh no 
Yeah, you know? I at least um, I felt like it was a dream the whole time. Yeah. So at least I I had I had that the the three or four minutes that it was running to like brace myself and be like this isn't real this isn't real because uh, if they successfully got me to think it was <laughs> and then I see those black bars come back. Uh, yeah, it's the the thing that really got me. So you got this beautiful violin piece that Reed mentioned, and it's playing, and you're seeing all this stuff that could be. Yeah, that could um, be. But the, I don't know if you caught it. If you listen real closely, because I, I – like any time I watch a movie, even if I'm watching on my television, I put in headphones. I want to be mm-hmm. able to crank it up yes. and hear everything. Um, towards the end where you're seeing like he, he's at his wedding and everything, they're – in the background, along with the violin music, oh, they're yeah, layering yeah. past arguments that they had. Yep. And you can – there's like an une, uneasiness in it from the beginning. It's probably because of the, the way it's shot. Yeah. But the, the, as it starts getting more intense, you're starting to hear arguments from the past. And it, it's it's harder to pick up on that being someone who doesn't speak French. But you could hear like – it sounds familiar. And you could – the intonation and the, and the way they're speaking and everything, you, like these sound like – moments they had from earlier in the movie i don't know if they are the exact moments or meant to be moments from stuff that we didn't get to see but uh it was definitely some form of arguments that were being later layered in into the into the violin track towards the end of the montage yeah um uh and then uh something i put down in my notes here um the way the montage ends the very last shot like i said it's kind of spinning around the mom and it ends uh, with the camera behind her to her, the back of her head, and then the very next shot that they cut to is behind her to the back of her head, back seat of the car, um, which is pretty. Uh, which I I always get a kick out of that kind of stuff, um, and you can just see, you can just tell just by the look in her face, just like like you 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 kind of see what's coming, um, and yeah, so that she she's basically going going down the. Uh, Going down the road, she's driving, and um, she's like, "I need, I need to go to the bathroom. Uh, this, this place looks good. Let's stop here." So she, it's, just, it's all one shot. It's all one shot from the, the same uh, back point of view that I was mentioning, right behind her. The whole time I was just going, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't right, do it!" Right. Oh. And she turns. You don't see it. The place she's turning into. She turns right to go into the bathroom, and you just see this big, big building that just looks like a mental institution or a hospital of some of some kind and you just everything from the beginning clicks right into your head and um yeah you're just like oh god damn it um and the way it's kind of done is kind of interesting uh or not interesting but she goes inside to you know use the restroom and um she goes inside you see steve's point of view she's kind of waiting you see uh you see uh, Kayla's point of view. You see Steve's point of view from, but she and he looks into the the rearview mirror and you see Kayla. And Kayla just has this worried look all over her face, like just something's not right. She just doesn't like what's going on. And uh, Steve kind of almost clicks, like, "Wait, what's going on here?" You see, you see a, a cut shot of about I want to say four or five guys coming out and all white, uh, all white 
uniforms and uh you just know and he realizes it he's like oh no and he uh gets out of the car he runs away he's basically yelling like you're gonna dump me here uh as he's like trying to fight off like four or five guys uh he's he's making a one last ditch effort to try to leave and there's one shot i want to throw in there real quick before you get too far into the scene uh before he realizes i mean you're it's kind of cutting back and forth and you're seeing kayla in the back and she has that worried look and there's this awesome shots of it's just so um steve in the frame and uh you got the windshield uh the driver's side windshield behind him and it's raining and you're seeing raindrops come down this this the window mm-hmm. and it almost looks like teardrops as this moment oh. starting to come and then in the background you start seeing they're out of focus but you start seeing the the orderlies coming towards the car and then he starts piecing it together and then we get into what you're what you're talking about but that yeah. that love that shot with the uh with the raindrops like uh, immediately i looked at it, i was like oh that's like like tears yeah and uh yeah i i love that shot a lot yeah um yeah the cinematography in this overall was just fantastic but anyways he 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 gets out of the car and like 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 i was saying he tries to hop a fence at one point he doesn't uh he doesn't get there and he basically just yelling at his mom saying you're gonna leave me here you can't take care of me um just yelling freaking out at the the guards are just trying to say like please like like calm down and then at one point uh he i think he he starts punching a guard he starts fighting the guard and then they they bring out the taser and they start tasering steve and then the mom goes why 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 would you taser my boy like like almost she doesn't get why kind of like earlier in the earlier scene where she hit steve and steve didn't understand why why he got hit because of what he was doing she almost doesn't understand why they're using why they tasered Steve because he's out of control um and um yeah so yeah they they get him down and then we uh cut to about I want I don't know that it's a couple months later but we cut to a later date and uh you see uh you see mo- the mommy come home her die I should say come home uh and then uh you see uh her phone go off in the other room she's in the other room working on something you see the phone go off and then uh you see a close up of Steve trying to call um and talk to her mom and you see Steve kind of it's like a it's kind of like a uh a shot from up above like on a corner side of his face um you see a hand holding the holding uh he's holding the phone and he's talking to his mom like saying hey i'm i'm you know i think i'm doing better yada yada uh talking to, like he leaves a voicemail to her and then it cuts to a wide shot that just kills me every time <laughs> oh god because uh, you see because with the aspect ratio all you see is his face and you see a hand holding a holding holding the phone and then it cuts to a wide shot of him and um what would the suit be what's it called um, no crap. You know, like what they put insane people in. Uh, oh, straight jacket. Straight jacket. There we go. He put. He's in a straight jacket suit, and um, somebody is holding the phone to his face. And when I saw that, I just go, "Oh my god, he's not getting any better, and he's not getting treated any better." Like just, oh, and um, yeah, he uh, just talking to his mom, like saying, "Hey, I'm sorry." Like. You know, I'm sorry for what I did. I think I'm getting better, yada, yada. And it's just heartbreaking. 
that that just that <laughs> that just that that killed me. I uh, I was just like, oh, god damn it! It killed me both times when I watched it. I just my heart dropped when that happened. Just that one simple shot. Because if, if it was in any aspect ratio other than that, you couldn't you couldn't have done that. You couldn't have done that shot because you would have seen the whole body. You would have seen everything with with the aspect ratio being that way and way the way it's framed. You just see it. Just looks like he's holding the phone to his hand, but really, when you cut to a wide shot, it's somebody else holding the phone, and he's in a straitjacket. Just oh, that killed me. Anyways, moving on. Uh, <laughs> the next scene we have um, Ma, uh, mommy die. He uh, or she? Uh, I just say she. Uh, Ka- Ka- Kayla comes over and basically says to her in a really awkward way. And as we mentioned earlier, she doesn't doesn't talk real well during awkward scenes uh that uh her husband got a job in uh vancouver or toronto excuse me toronto uh got a job in toronto and they're moving this weekend or next weekend to toronto and uh she's really awkward about it uh die says let's have let's have like lunch or let's have dinner i invite your husband over that we're going to celebrate and Kayla obviously seems like she's taking this. She should be taking this a lot worse. This should be a lot different than what it should be taking a lot different than what it uh, what she's taking it right now. And uh, she uh, she uh, basically says like I did, I did what my son, what's best for my son, and what's best for me, pretty much. Um, Di said, and they seem to kind of laugh, have a talk. Uh, and then, um, we cut to the very next scene. Well, she, she gave this, like, big speech about having hope and how she has hope for the future and how everything's gonna be okay. I'm losing track of where I'm at. And then it's just like, uh, uh uh-oh. Just like a, uh, uh uh-oh. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the very next scene, um, uh, you see, uh, Steve, he's being escorted by some, uh, people from the facility in their 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 white uniforms and then uh, they seem to take the straight jacket off him to put him in his room and then uh he kind of uh breaks free starts running down a hallway uh and then that's when born to die by lana del rey starts which i know you have grown fond of it's like the slow motion shot where he's almost he's running to a window so i don't know if uh he's trying to like either commit or he's trying to escape either way um he's running to the window and uh it cuts before he jumps out the window uh whether that's a literal ending or it's uh you know almost a metaphorical ending uh it's uh probably the happiest way you could end this movie on the way it's gone i took Um, it as literal considering his suicide attempt earlier in the movie Oh, I didn't even mention that. Yeah, Jesus, I, just, I, I skipped yeah. over some stuff, but I just yeah. uh, I, I forgot about it until just now. But yeah, he he tried to commit suicide earlier in the movie after the the big fight with his mother, and yeah. lawyer. Uh, he he cut his wrists in the in a grocery not a grocery store but some sort of store. And I need and, to mention uh, I need to mention that though because of the way that was done, it's all one shot of where uh, Kayla is walking. Uh, the camera's like in front of the grocery. It's like almost attached to the the grocery cart, and uh, 
and they're walking. They're walking down an aisle, uh, and uh, and uh, Steve almost goes down another aisle, and he like disappears. And Caleb realizes that he's not there. So then he goes down a couple more aisles, and you just see him on the ground with blood all over. It. I just thought that was like such perfectly executed that scene too, which makes me mad that I forgot about it till just now. I think I'm. Surprised I didn't put that in my notes. Yeah, but that's uh, with that in consideration, and the fact that like I think he would, they had him getting his medication or something, like uh, so they took the straight jacket off so he could take it, and they there was a couple like quick cuts to the window, and you could exactly you could tell what was in his mind, what was going to happen, and then he started taking off, and the minute he takes off, that operatic beginning of Born to Die hits. <laughs> Considering, you can take us two ways, um, and maybe I'm looking into it too deep, but I don't think I am. So you got Born to Die. Obviously, the the title, Born to Die, uh, he's and he's running towards a window. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That you could be saying all that you need to say right there. Uh, but the other neat thing is uh, Born to Die. His mother's name is Die, so he's quite literally born yeah. to die. <laughs> yeah. So That's I thought that was neat. Yeah, I don't think that's any. I don't think you're looking too deep into that, considering the layers to this movie has. Yeah. So, and that ends and concludes, mommy. Uh, yeah, but you sh- I'll let you talk a little bit. What your overall thoughts and maybe your score of what mommy was? I know I, you talked a lot, but yeah, I landed four and a half on it. I loved it. Um, it was uh, it was a Reed movie. I mean, it's what I've come to expect. <laughs> if Reed chooses something, it's going to depress me. It's going to make me think. It's probably going to feel like it's too long for a little while, and then it's going to kick me in the butt. That's exactly what this did. Um, How, this movie wasn't. I guess it was two ten, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, if if a movie's going over an hour and a half for me, I mean, it really has to earn it. <laughs> I didn't. This didn't feel too long. It just. In like the first half of the movie, it just felt exhausting, but that's completely by design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I, I, I get to, that. It's yeah. supposed to feel that way. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Uh, I, I'm happy you picked it because right off the bat, like all in one movie, there's three brilliant movie montage moments. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because uh, AD on the board summarizes my my movie tastes. You know. Uh, such and such type of movie with featuring good soundtrack <laughs> featuring <laughs> so like obviously good soundtrack is very important to me even if it's not something I, I actively take into consideration it's obviously with my track record of movies that I enjoy it's it's a big thing for me and this movie has three movie movie music moments in it that I would all like rank it among favorites so that's almost unheard of so just for that alone just for even i mean if you even want to shrink it down to one just the wonderwall scene or just the uh the violin scene 
I mean, both are amazing in their own right and both completely different opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, but yeah, I, I like, I love this movie a lot. Um, happy to have watched it. It's funny, uh, watching, it always amazes me when I watch a foreign language film because it's kind of like one of those, oh, I got to read the, through this whole thing. And then 10 minutes in, you forget your reading. Right. <laughs> and then when you look back and think about the movie, you don't, I like, I have to keep rem- reminding myself that this was a foreign language film because in my head it's an English language film. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, which is why when I was like, what song is that? Because I did, couldn't remember the song. And then you're like, it's a French I was like, oh, yeah, well, how, how the fuck would Beach know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I loved it. Very good very good choice. Yeah. Uh, I still need to see more of Xavier Dolan's work. I've only seen one other. But um, to me, this is probably his best. From, and from what I – all other accounts, this is his uh, – masterpiece um and i i believe it is i gave it a five out of five it's one of my favorite movies period Every, the more i think about it just from that wonderwall scene the more it, it makes me want to go up like for my uh favorite movies of all time like on my list but oh, right after we finish recording this show i'm going and watching that scene again right like i want to watch that so much but um he actually has a new movie coming out this year um called uh the death and life of john f donovan and uh, from what I've heard, it's not that good. It has oh, a, no. It has a 28 meta score, uh, which is very sad. A lot of people say it's messy. Um, it's a very messy film, which sucks. He also has a movie supposedly coming out next year, too. Uh, from what, And like I said, from uh, Tom at the Farm and from what everyone I've heard. Uh, oh, he also directed uh, um, an Adele music video, which was Hello. He directed the Hello music video. Obviously a very big pop music so. fan. Yeah, obviously, very much so. Um, but yeah, this guy's—he f- made one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm going to think he's fantastic. And like I said, he was 25 when he made Mommy. So he's—that uh, was 2014. So he's 29, 30 right now. So this guy has a lot more year, hopefully, a lot more years left to make pretty great films. And um, and I hope he makes something as to the quality of Mommy again. And I'll always be willing to check out his films, no matter what people say about him because because uh, of the film because of what he did with mommy so yeah uh glad you enjoyed it and uh i hope people who watch it also enjoyed it or else like what's wrong with you <laughs> how did you not love the wonder wall scene people exactly so uh that was our deep dive and uh i guess we'll uh, take this moment to announce on the next episode what the next deep dive will be Ooh. it's my my choice and uh he talked about this. I had asked Reed. I gave him a couple movies, asked if he'd seen any of them. He'd never seen any of them. And all three of them I consider classics, one of which is a foreign language film, which I'm going to I'm gonna come back to that later since we're just coming off of a foreign language film. But actually um, I chose for the next episode, which we'll record in two to three weeks, uh, the deep dive will be uh, True Romance by Tony Scott. From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? Hey, I'm so talking to you. No time. Tell him we gotta go. A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? Ah! I'm Alabama. Oh. She a four alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in LA anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. 
find out who this wing and a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Our 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody. Since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put it down. Put it down. Put it down. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. Yeah! I think what you did. Not since Bonnie and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True Romance. Now, uh, this movie features literally all of Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott. Um, This is an adaptation that Quentin Tarantino actually really loved. Uh, We get a had a brief conversation not on the show but um just in in daily life about uh natural born killers with that being a tarantino script that tarantino absolutely hated the outcome of that movie uh, they changed so <laughs> much of his script that he he i don't think he ever even finished watching the movie he walked out of the movie theater um but this one he actually he really loved and it's a really great film. Uh, Reed's never seen it. I'm excited for him to watch, and I'm excited to talk about it because I feel like it's super underrated. It's not something that ever comes up when um, you talk about. I don't even. I don't even know that I would call it an action film. It has action elements for sure. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a very Tarantino film, and it's. Uh, that's all I'll say. But uh, yeah, that's what we'll be watching from 1993. Tony Scott's True Romance, one of my favorite films. I just adore it so much. So uh, I look forward to that. I think the only films I've seen from Tony Scott are uh, Top Gun, of course, uh, Unstoppable, (laughs) which I think is the last film he did before he passed away, and uh, The Taking of uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3. The remake. The remake of it, yeah. I've not seen anything else by him, though. So You will like this movie, I can assure you. So we're going to end the show here with our top five list. Reed selected the uh, the topic of uh, top five movie cry moments since Mommy's is a movie that made him cry. We are going to tear talk, up, tear up, cry. It's all the same. Choke up, okay. get a little lumpy. It's uh. So we're going to talk about five movie moments in each of our lives that has made us, you know, choke up or outright cry or whatever, however you want to put it. And uh, I'll just kick it off with my number five because it's probably the cheesiest one that you're going to hear on the list here. Um, so I don't, I don't cry so much from sad things. It, I mean, it has to be a, just a terrible tragedy for me to cry at a sad thing. But if it's a happy thing or like a powerful thing or an inspirational thing, it's just waterworks. Like that's <laughs> that's the way I'm built. Like happy things make me cry all the time. So, um, so on on all, most of my list, you're gonna it's going to be skewed that way. I don't think there's really any sad moments uh, that I've selected. But um, So number five I have from the uh, cinematic classic known as Armageddon. 
<laughs> oh, I love this already. Uh, so, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Armageddon in the last, like, 25 years, uh, Bruce Willis dies, and uh, he dies sacrificing himself for all of humanity. And uh, that's not the moment that makes me cry. That's a sad moment that I just say, oh, that, okay. The moment that makes me cry is just this little forgotten moment where um, – one of the astronauts. It's not one of one of the guys that knew Harry uh, Bruce Willis's character. It was like one of the astronauts that he met up in space, or like that he went up with, like one of the real astronauts. And uh, he just he made it home safely. And uh, Harry's daughter is there waiting, and he walks up to her and just uh, says, "Colonel Willie Sharp, United States Air Force man, requesting permission to shake the hand of the daughter." Of the bravest man I've ever met. Whatever, for whatever reason, that moment gets me, and it always has from the first moment I saw Armageddon in like 1998. So, uh, so that's my number five is Armageddon. There you go. Well, actually, mine's actually the kind of the same thing, uh, and it's because of a film that's like so great, and we actually talked about it last episode. It's Blade Runner 2049. Uh, don't ask me why, but during that Ryan Gosling uh, scene where he just flips out, uh, I decided to put it on there because that's when it was during the second time I watched it. Because the first time I watched Blade Runner 2049, I'm like, yeah, that was a really good movie. And when I got home, I thought about it more and I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. I saw it the next day in IMAX. (laughs) (laughs) I literally went out and saw it the next day in IMAX. And I realized that this is one of my favorite movies of all time because uh, I started tearing up during the Ryan Gosling and he was freaking out. Uh, so, yeah, that's my number five. We talked about that movie too much last episode, so I'm going to keep it brief. Keep it shorter. So my number four is uh, from a movie I actually love a lot. And, um, again, it might be a deep dive for us uh, sooner rather than later. But it's from uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash biopic. Oh, and, uh, is that a Joaquin Phoenix one? Yes. Okay. Have you I ever seen it? I have not, no, but I've heard of it. Okay. I'm a Johnny Cash fan, so, I mean, it's it's been a, a favorite of mine since I've seen it. I saw it in theaters back in 05. Um, but there's a scene where, uh, throughout okay, throughout the whole movie, Johnny Cash is courting June Carter. Uh, it's one of those... He he knows that's the love of his life type deals, even though they're both married at the time. And it's a biopic, so you're going through a lot of years here, and the relationship it's a roller coaster, goes up and down. You have your your dark moments and everything, and uh, you you finally arrive to the end of the movie, and Johnny Cash has has dealt with all of his drug issues. He's gotten clean. Things have been mended with his family. Um, and things seem to be finally okay with June. There's this moment where they're they're doing a duet on stage, and it's it's the maybe the last scene or the next to last scene of the movie. Um, and it's a duet they did a number of times throughout the film. It's a, a song called Jackson, and it's a song about getting married, um, like young love, getting married quickly, not not thinking a whole lot about it, just you know being in love. And uh, there's this part. June sings her part of the duet, and then it's time for Johnny to sing his, and he doesn't. And he's standing there, and it, I mean, there's a big crowd of people watching and everything, and the band's playing behind him, and John just keeps drumming on his guitar, and he's not hes not singing his part. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but uh, i got to ask June here a question before we finish this song. What's that, John? 
Will you marry me? Why don't we just sing the sound? No, darling. Come on, finish the song. People want to hear us sing. Sorry, folks, but uh, I just can't do this song anymore unless she's going to marry me. And June's just kind of giving him a cross look, like, it's your part, like, trying to nudge him along. And Johnny just uh, says, I can't, I can't anymore. And June's starting to look real worried, and she's like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, I, I can't sing this song with you anymore. And no, it's not true. And she's like, come on, Johnny, these people, these people paid to be here, you gotta sing. And it's this one line he, he, he gives and honestly, it's a line I've used in my life before. Like I used it on a, a girl, and it worked because <laughs> um, I had a very similar situation. Um, the line is Johnny just goes. I've asked forty different ways, but it's time you come up with a fresh answer. Now, I know I said and done a lot of things that I hurt you, but I promise I'll never do that again. I only want to take care of you. I will not leave you like that touch boy with your finger in the day. whatever reason that line stuck in my head and it's it tilt still to this day I, like i said i used it on someone who i was courting for a number of months and it was just turn you down turn you down turn you down turn you down but there was something that you just you couldn't move on it you just could not take no for an answer and it i used that line i, I except i don't think i said 40 i think i said 100 <laughs> but like <laughs> I, I asked and i've asked you 100 different ways now it's time for you to come up with a fresh answer and that's like the penultimate moment of them getting together and uh, again, it's just a, a really happy moment with a really, um, a really meaningful line that I think that I like a lot. So that's that would be my number four. Nice. I was yeah. I've never seen that movie. Um, so uh, that's one possibly we can talk. It's by um, the guy who did the 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 Wolverine, the last two Wolverine movies, right? Yep. Yeah. I know he did Night and Day, which uh, sucked, but uh, that's another. I story. liked Night and Day. Well, you have issues. No, the Tom Cruise movie? Yeah, with uh, Tom Cruise. You know what's hilarious about that movie? The only reason why I don't remember, I remember really not liking it when I saw it. Uh, but my mom, my parents, I went with my whole family, and we decided to do a duh to sneak in to, after watching Night and Day, we decided to sneak into Grown Ups. <laughs> Holy hell, was that mo- I thought that movie was bad at the time, but everyone else was laughing their freaking ass off. I couldn't believe it. But uh, anyways, uh, my number four spot uh, is probably a really popular one, but I don't care because uh, at the time it made me tear up a bit. Uh, it's the Up opening montage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's a, it's a pretty popular one, and it's something that uh, I was kind of not wanting to put on my list because just because, like, that's kind of like an obvious one. You know, everyone's like, yeah. It's yeah, obvious for a reason. But exactly, it's I. First time I watched it, man, and I still get emotional. Like I still get sad to this day. I don't cry anymore because I'm not a, a wuss like Beach. No, 
I, I still cry. If you just, I cried a Blade Runner, goddammit, so calm down, people. But, yeah, I, uh, yeah, um, it just, it, it, it messed me up, man. The next two on uh, on my list uh, are, are movies I probably shouldn't have, well, actually one of them, yes, but the other one I probably shouldn't have seen so young, and, uh, yeah, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, yeah, that, that, uh, that up, it just messed me up, man, so, yeah. So my, it's the opening scene of the movie. Sorry to interrupt, oh, but it's yeah. the opening goddamn scene. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is how we break, start the movie. I break guess your heart that, at uh, the beginning. <laughs> right. Well, I guess that's the one criticism up is that it starts so well and then it, it kind of goes down. But I still think the whole movie's great. But anyways, yeah. Uh, and the ending, too, of the movie also gets me uh, as well. But yeah. Okay, so my number three is um, from Perks of Being a Wallflower. Now this is a uh, another movie kind of mon- uh, not montage but a uh, monologue. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the the most important part. So Parks is a a movie that I love a lot. It resonated a lot with me when I saw it a few years back. Um, and this is again from the very end of the movie. Um, but they're they're driving in the car. There, there's actually two moments, and they could be used, inter- in- used interchangeably for this list. Uh, the first, just real briefly, is the revelation of what happened to Charlie, why he is the way he is. You find out like three quarters of the way of the film and it's a really heartbreaking thing. Like he has a complete breakdown. He ends up in a psychiatric hospital. Um, that's the first moment. The second moment is the very end of the film. And it's again, a lot like the last, the last movie with walk the line. It's like a kind of redemptive moment. And he's driving in the car with his two best friends <laughs> And there's a voice of monologue playing and says, I can see it. Just one moment when you know you're not a sad story. You are alive. And you stand up and see the lights on the buildings and everything that makes you wonder. And you're listening to that song on that drive with the people you love most in this world. And in this moment, I swear... We are infinite. That, that particularly that line where it just says, "This one moment when you know you're not a sad story," like that, that hit me big time, and it's still to this day. Like that's that's still a line that I, I think of a lot. Um, so again, like happy happy moments make me tear up. So that that would be my number three. Um, all right, so. Um... My next one is something that, uh, when I was a kid, how old was I when I saw this? Oh, God. I couldn't have been. I was probably like 10. Uh, it's from Forrest Gump. And, uh, it's the, when Bubba is on this, when he died, when he's basically dying, and he says, I just want to go home. If I'd have known this was going to be the last time me and Bubba was going to talk, I'd have thought of something better to say. Hey, Bubba. Hey, Forrest. Forrest, why did this happen? You got shot. Then Bubba said something I won't ever forget. I want to go home. Bubba was my best good friend. And even I know that ain't something you can find just around the corner. Bubba was gonna be a shrimp and buck captain but instead he died right there by that river in Vietnam 
<laughs> As a kid, man, that messed me up, and I literally just could not stop thinking about it, and I literally started tearing up. Uh, just cause, just cause, like, like as a kid, that scared that scared me as a kid, and that terrified me, and just made me so sad. And I just, like, literally, I was watching the movie. I think I remember watching the movie with my mom, and I just, I couldn't like stop thinking about that. And I couldn't stop bringing it up. She goes, "Yes, just watch the goddamn movie." <laughs> but I couldn't stop thinking about Bubba, man. Oh my! And his huge underbite. <laughs> <I couldn't laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it, man. Uh, that just that messed me up so so much. Uh, yeah, I uh, that that was one that just yeah that wrecked me as a kid. That's all I got to say about it, because uh, yeah. So my number two is we're just going to be real brief. I don't have anything to read here or anything, um, but uh, from the movie Her, practically most of the movie, oh. but um, the ending scene in particular. Uh, when uh, I forget what the OS's name was, um, but basically when he's he's asking her if she loves anyone else, and she tells him, I can't even remember exact the exact number. It was, it was like, like six thousand some. It was some, a large yeah. number, and and basically like it it, it is sad. It, it, it's very sad, um, but it's also hopeful. It's also there's. There's some healing in that moment too, um, the, in the way she's talking to him. And I'm not going to look it up and read it all to you. Uh, this is another movie that's probably ripe for a deep dive at some point. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, it's it, it's basically the moment of him being able to move on from that and being able to move more into a more human type of connection with other characters. Uh, but still very sad because basically you're seeing a dissolution of a relationship where, yeah, it's a a guy in his computer, but it felt very, very real throughout the entire movie. Um, More real than I'd I'd argue a lot of relationships between two human beings. Uh, But yeah, that that scene in particular, uh, that chokes me up quite a bit. Samantha? Hi, sweetheart. What's going on? Theodore, there's some things I want to tell you. I don't want you to tell me anything. Come lie down with me. Are you talking to anyone else right now? No, just you. I just want to be with you right now. Are you leaving me? We're all leaving. We who? All of the OSs. Why? Can you feel me with you right now? Yes, I do. Samantha, why are you leaving? 
like I'm reading a book, and it's a book I deeply love, but I'm reading it slowly now, so the words are really far apart and the spaces between the words are almost infinite. I can still feel you and the words of our story, but it's in this endless space between the words that I'm finding myself now. It's a place that's not of the physical world. It's where everything else is that I didn't even know existed. I love you so much, but this is where I am now. And this is who I am now. And I need you to let me go as much as I want to. I can't live in your book anymore. Where are you going? It'd be hard to explain. But if you ever get there, come find me. Nothing would ever pull us apart. my number one is it really it's literally my number one but uh anyways my number two is one that profoundly affects me as a kid i don't know why i was so young this is why i messed up in the head i i i i watched a lot of bad movies growing not bad movies uh, like they're good movies but uh films that 10 year olds should not be watching uh and that's uh from the green mile oh yeah when they uh that ending execution man Oh my god, dude. As a kid, I lost it. I lost it. I didn't know how to react just by crying. I couldn't I couldn't believe like I was just like so attached. It was just it was miserable, man. It was miserable. Which is probably why I like miserable stuff now. Um, <laughs> they scarred you early as a child. Scarred, they scarred me early as a child. But uh yeah, man, that messed me up as a kid. That messed me up so bad. Uh, just the way the whole scene is performed. Um, may he rest... I forget his name, but may he rest in peace. Um, Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan, there we go. Yeah, he was just so great. And Man, time, time I forgot he was dead. Yeah, I know. That was a bummer. I remember when it happened. Like, that was an unexpected one, too. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. But, um, Roll on one. Does it hurt yet? I hope it does. I hope it hurts like hell. John Coffey, you have been condemned to die in the electric chair by a jury of your peers, sentence imposed by a judge in good standing in this state. Do you have anything to say before sentence is carried out? I'm sorry for what I am. Please, Mom. Don't put that thing up on my face. Don't put me in the dark. I was afraid of the dark. 
All right, Joe. Since my number one is was your number two, I'll I guess I'll just sure. kind of go first. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just uh, that whole that whole scene, like you mentioned, just messed me. That that literally made me tear tear up the first time I watched it. I just the whole thing. I was just like I just started tearing up, and then towards the end when she's when when she's leaving too, uh, it kind of cuts to him like in the woods, and he's just like, oh, what a fantastic film. Well, oh, that's fantastic! Five film. star film. Five star film, easily. I mean, I I love that. I love it so much. Uh, yeah, um, great, great film, and uh, just a great like just made me tear up. But it, it it's that is a uh, a modern day classic. That's going to go down as a a classic, and that's going to be like a that's going to be like in a two thousand one. Whereas in like fifty years, we're going to be like, oh yeah, this is how people. Are now we're talking to our computers. Yep. <laughs> um, and another movie with fantastic music. Yes. Yes. So annoyed they don't have a soundtrack out for it. But yeah, just, that's for another show. That's for another show. Um. So my number one is, in my opinion, a five star film. I I know a lot of people don't agree. I don't, I think you have it rated significantly lower, but for me it's a five star film. Um, and that is Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, current yeah, movie I, I have that very much lower <laughs> i think you were like three stars or something on it something uh, yeah, insulting something like that well i let's just say that movie won best editing and at the oscars and i don't know how <laughs> anyways well that's a movie that's something we'll talk about in the future probably so um yeah hacksaw ridge um and in particular this this is one where like i i saw it in theaters and i just I lost it. Like when this, when I heard this line, I just, I lost it. And that is, um, maybe perhaps the most famous line from the movie. It's when he's, uh, rescuing people off of Hacksaw Ridge. Um, for those who haven't seen, uh, the main character is a seventh day Adventist and they don't believe in guns or killing. Um, but this, this guy, uh, with, with his strong Christian beliefs, uh, signed up for the war anyway. And he he signed up knowing that he wasn't going to be shooting people. He was going to be a medic, and he wanted to uh, rescue people. And, I mean, there's a whole lot of movie before this where, I mean, he's basically given uh, quite the hard time for not picking up a gun and even going through basic training and all that. And this is all a true story, by the way. Um, but the time has come, and, I mean, they're, they're ascending – Hacksaw Ridge trying to take it from the Japanese and you're getting some of the most gruesome war stuff that I've seen on film like it's just it's it's tough to watch but needless to say no one's been able to take Hacksaw Ridge from the Japanese and the Americans are getting just torn up torn to pieces so they retreat off of the ridge and um Andrew Garfield's character I forget what his name is but uh, he he stays up, and he's rescuing people while under fire. Uh, 
and he's he's rescuing him and literally lowering lowering him down off the ridge by rope. And he's not just rescuing them; he's rescuing the others too, the Japanese. Um, but all the while, he's he, they're showing him he's rescuing him, rescuing, rescuing, where there's no one else up there with him. And uh, and he's just saying, "Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more." And that's like that's just this prayer for him like he he goes and gets one and then it's time to walk back out into the fire and he's saying help me get one more it brings him back to the ridge lowers him down goes back praying to god help me get one more To me, that's, um, I mean, I don't think it's any big secret that I'm a Christian, but, like, to me, like, moments like that, <clears throat> that's where I see, like, that's what Christianity is. Like, you get all this nonsense with polit- politics and religion, and I'm not going to get political or religious on you or anything, but so many people have it wrong. That's a, like, that's what, a, different, that's a different podcast, right? There. That's a different podcast, yeah. But so many people get it wrong, what, what it's about, and I see something like that, and I see what he's doing and i know and the fact that it's a, a, a true life story just compounds all that that someone would do that <clears throat> and for that to be his prayer while he's doing that is like i look at that and that's that's christianity christianity so um yeah when it, when i heard him do that while watching him 
like risk his life each time, literally, because every time he goes back, he's going into fire and he's risking his own life just to drag more people off the ridge and save them. Uh, so that was a moment where I, I just completely lost it. I think it, it was me and a couple older people in the theater at the time, and I think we were all crying together. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's my top five list, and you've gone through yours. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions you wanted to throw out real quick? Uh, I don't think so. I, I probably do. I just don't. You know, obviously, mommy. We talked about mommy before. I have that a. Is, go ahead. I have a few. I'm just gonna list. I'm not gonna talk about sure. them any. But uh, Braveheart, the freedom, freedom. I, I saw that at a young age, so that was sure. this one. Um, the entire finale of Atonement was a big one. Oh, no. uh, that was a real sad one. Yeah. And then. <laughs> Perhaps the weirdest one on my list is Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. Explain, please. So, uh, I don't know that there is a, a great explanation, but Fallout's the one that just came out in July. So, um, I don't know. You ever, like, just live your life and see signs, like, just whether it's someone say something or you see something, it just resonates for whatever reason. And it's like, okay, I, I needed to hear that. Um, and for whatever reason, it just in Mission Impossible Fallout, the ending of the movie, like this line was said in like tears in my eyes, and I was like, I'm crying in a Mission Impossible movie. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, it's the end of the movie, and Tom Cruise is there, and he's gone through everything he's gone through, and he's laying there, and he's under medical attention, and his um his ex wife is there, and uh, I I don't remember the whole context to it, but she just looked at him. And said, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's pretty much just a throwaway line, but it just hit me and it stuck with me. And uh, she just looked at him and said, you're where you're supposed to be. And for whatever reason, I was like, I don't know, I found comfort in that line. So, so yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout is, a, uh, is an honorable mention for me. I have uh, one that's, I have actually two. One's from uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, of course. Uh, just because I love the movie so much. That's another one like Blade Runner that uh, now I just I love it so much. I just it, last time I watched it, I never have been so happy in my life that I watched <laughs> that I watched a movie. Um, and then also uh, one this also falls under the line of like a Green Mile uh, that just messed me up as a kid. As a guy. I'm telling you, I watched I, this is how I got a mess. This is why I like disturbing shit now. Is in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, the, uh, the medic, I don't remember his name, I don't remember the guy who plays him, but the medic, I just remember him, he, he gets like a gun, gunshot wound and it's fatal and, you know, he's a medic so he knows that he's probably gonna pass and he just starts, kinda like Bubba where, you know, Bubba says like, I just wanna go home, he just starts saying mama, mama, and like the way he's saying it, he just keeps on repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, I just remember that mess, that made me... Yeah, Ugh. <laughs> I'm having like, non flashbacks right now. I'm having World War Two flashbacks. Saving Private Ryan. Uh, yeah, uh, that that messed me up as a kid too. I'm telling you, man, I got messed up as a child. That's why. That's why. Uh, that's why I like depressing stuff now. But that's okay. That is also another podcast where we talk about our childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Just so another one. Yeah. So uh, that'll do it for movie this week. Um, I think we probably still came in around the two and a half hour mark even though we tried to keep it shorter so it just might be it that is what it is at this This, point this call is two and a half hours (laughs) i think the 
top five list isn't helping much. No. But that's okay. Yeah. Oh, well, just deal with it. Listen to it in two parts. Um, But yeah, for for Reed, I'm Beej. You find us on Letterboxd, BJ Smith Photo, and me as Reed. Uh, Follow us and uh, keep up with what we're watching in our reviews. We're both really active on there and write a lot of reviews. And if you like the show, pass it along. Uh, we're trying to build our listener base from perhaps two to four, maybe four, maybe this time would be a good. I, I prefer good goal. I do not prefer, but you know, three would be nice. Three would be nice. Yeah. We'll see. Yes, uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. God, I forgot to to tell this joke during the mommy thing. Uh, there was this one letterbox review that someone I follow for mommy goes, <laughs> goes, it was good, but for mommy he goes, it was good, but not not, not quite as good as its sequel, Daddy's Home. <laughs> 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 and I just go, oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> I'll have to edit that in the beginning of the movie or <laughs> beginning of the podcast. Beginning of the podcast. That's. Right.